I do? What do I do? I haven't done this for like two and a half weeks. What do I do? Do I do I say things now? Do I say things? What do I say? Say things. Say, say things. things. Should I say what? Say Should things. I bangly bang. Should I say bangly bang? Sure. Let's give that That's, a go. Yeah. Bangly bang on the first Empire podcast of 2021. We didn't have a guest until Rent a Pal star, the legend that is Mr. Will Wheaton, agreed to come on and talk about his new movie. Rent a guest? No. The Empire Podcast would like to make it very clear that Mr. Will Wheaton did not receive any payment for his appearance on the show and talked to us willingly <laughs> and of his own volition. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is down to its last tub of Christmas chocolates. Please send help. Or heroes. Or celebrations. Quality Street will also be accepted. And roses while we're at it. Send them all to the usual address, please. And that's the fitness regime begun. <laughs> Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the first podcast of 2021. Oh yes indeed, we are hmm. back baby. We are back and we have seen off the anus horribilibilis that was 2020. And even though we're just over a week into this new fledgling year folks, I've got a good feeling about it. You know, I think that this year is going to be <laughs> our year. Just as long as there are no mutant COVID variations or or nationwide lockdowns or all that assault in democracy, I think we are going to be good. And the we, of course, is myself and my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. How are you? I am well, as can be expected. Thank you. Because you've had a cracking year, because it's been a great year with no major incidents to report. No major incidents, no attempted coups, you know, no incompetent cool. governments in this country, which has the highest rate of COVID in the world per capita. Cool. You know, it's going super well. Cool. Uh. Next up, we have nerd nincompoop, James Dyer. Really? <laughs> really? That's what we're going with? I'm going for the alliteration. I see what you did there. Yes. Hello, Christopher. Hello, James. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm a week now into 2021, and I can exclusively reveal so are we. <laughs> that it is. Just... <laughs> well done. What a are you as well? Oh, that's extraordinary. Uh, yes, I can exclusively reveal that it is overrated. <laughs> I'm not enjoying it. I give this year two out of five. Two stars. It's a two star year so far. Two out of five. What mm. are those stars for? What have earned those stars so far? The two stars. Um, <laughs> the world has yet to combust spontaneously with me in it. It gets a star, at least one star for that. Yeah. Um, and the other one's really a charity star at this point. Give it time. If Dune gets pushed to 2022, <laughs> it immediately loses three stars. Five stars then for 2021. Wow. Minus one star at, the, at this point, my God. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, you've already heard his voice. He is, of course, Ethan Hunt is a living manifestation of destiny. Ben Travis is a living manifestation of Baby Yoda. Welcome, Ben. Hello. Yes, um, 2021 hasn't got my message so far that the only coup I will accept Ooh. is the coup coming out of Baby Yoda's mouth. <laughs> he coos, he raises little arms in the air, yeah. he is sick down his front. It's so, I mean, that is 2020. Yeah, itself, I was say, the it? only part of that that 2021 <laughs> has taken on board so far is the being sick all over itself. Come on, take more of the, the macaroon joy and the waving the arms in the air. But anywho... This is our first podcast in ooh, two, two weeks, two, three weeks, two weeks, something like that, three weeks, something like that. It's been a long time. Um, I've forgotten how to do this. I hope it's not that clear. <laughs> but uh, how was your Christmas break, P. 
people. What did you did you enjoy yourselves? Did you rest? Did you watch a lot of films? Did you get any film related Christmas presents? Ooh. I did watch a lot of films. I rewatched um some of the big ones from last year. I had um I was lucky enough to have screening access early to Wonder Woman, so I had another watch of that. Sat down and watched just caught up in everything and then just really mostly watched classics. And by that I mean things like the Lord of the Rings movies and, you know, Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that. Because it felt like that's what we needed this Christmas. It felt like what we needed was just to watch films that we knew were going to be good and we could practically recite, um, but in a good way and not a bad way. So I did a lot of that and it was glorious. Mm. What did I watch? I watched uh, I watched Jurassic World, obviously, for no particular reason, which I enjoyed mm. immensely. I watched the four-star masterpiece that is Jumanji, uh, which was, yes. Uh, yes, which I maintain is fucking brilliant, as the is the sequel. The original or the sequel? Uh, well, no, not the original. Let's not be, let's not be crazy. Uh, no, the Jumanji, Jumanji Welcome, Welcome to, the to the Jungle. Yes, which I enjoyed a lot. And Next Level, which is also very good, if not as good as the as, as Welcome to the Jungle, but still very, very good indeed. Yeah, I'm really, really here for Jumanji 3, which they kind of – it's not really a spoiler, but it's it's shall we say teed up to a certain extent at the end of uh, of Jumanji two. And I was discussing this with someone, and I've already planned out what I want to happen, and I have the whole plot. And now I feel a lot like if it doesn't happen exactly how I imagine it's going to happen, as a complete inversion of the the current format, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed. So mm. you know, I might have to call Jake Kasdan just to make sure he's all our ducks are in a row. What do you want to happen? I want to see Jumanji come into the real world with real life Ruby Roundhouse and real life Smolder Bravestone appearing as opposed to people being them. So uh, that that is what I think will happen. Suddenly that seems to be where it's where it's headed this time around. So it weirdly kind of almost becomes a little bit more like the Robin Williams Jumanji where mm. the game comes to life as opposed to they go into the game. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, here for that. that I think it, they were in pre-production before COVID hit. So I think it's been on hold for a while. I, I'm assuming. I think so, yeah. Like they were in discussions. I don't like it, I'm not sure that, you know, how much of it is sort of set in stone that it's gonna happen, but I think they were they were workshopping it as it were. That's interesting because like, yeah, I hadn't seen anything about uh, well, I googled it since I finished four. Next Level, thinking, "Oh God, what's the status of three? I'd forgotten." And apparently, it was they were they were looking into pre-production, but uh, I don't know if it's uh, you mm. know whether that's the kind of pre-production where they're just kicking ideas around, or the kind of pre-production where they're actually going to make the fucking film. I mean, it, the Next Level didn't take quite as much money as as Welcome to the Jungle, but both mm. still made a massive, yeah. massive amount mm. of um, of cash. Especially, they both went up against Star Wars movies and came out of it pretty well. Yeah, which yeah. is fair play to them. But the thing is, they're they're so likable and they're so charming and they're really funny. And I think you know, like Kevin Hart is fantastic in it. The Rock brilliant in it uh and karen gillen is fantastic yeah i just love it chap all of them all of them i love everyone in it and i think they nail i just love everything about it the ostrich in particular great performance um <laughs> i just thought of a tremendous quiz go on okay i have just thought of a tremendous quiz. hang on give me two seconds i'm just gonna get up the imdb we're gonna play it is that what's we're gonna, gonna happen? play it we're gonna play it right oh, now no. we're gonna play oh, it right no. now Who's I, don't, your ostrich? I didn't i didn't rewatch it over christmas i don't remember anything <laughs> No, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with that. Cake uh, makes me explode. That was going to be my name today. (laughs) It really does. It really makes me explode. Yes, okay, and we've all gained weight over Christmas. There's no need to body shame each other. Let's just leave it there. Cake is all of our weakness at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so here's a fun game. Here's a fun game. James was just, you know, like, waxy lyrical about the cast of Jumanji. And uh, so I just thought of a fun little game. Here we go, folks. This game is called... Nat Wolf 
or Alex Wolf. Oh no! Okay. Oh, so I'm going to name a film. <laughs> I'm going to name a film in which Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf have appeared, and you have to tell me whether it's Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf because they look—they're not twins, but they look twins. exactly like each other. Right. I literally thought that Nat Wolf had changed his name to Alex Wolf the first time I came across <laughs> an Alex Wolf credit. I'm like, that's not who the guy was. It was clearly Nat Wolf. So this is going to be confusing. This is this is going to be. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun here. It's going to be. Oh, this going to, and uh, this is going to translate to the listeners. They're going to love this. They're going to demand that this becomes a regular feature on the show. We're going to run out of wolf films very very quickly. Okay, <laughs> Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. Now, is that a Nat Wolf movie or an Alex Wolf movie? Alex! James says Alex. He may have the benefit of having just recently watched these movies. (laughs) I'm also going to go with Alex for that one, because I think that's what prompted me to think, wait, Nat changed his name? (laughs) If this one's Alex Wolf, I actually can't remember who who Nat Wolf is. (laughs) Just just think Alex Wolf with a different first name. That's what you need to know. Alex Wolf's evil twin. Well, if you have you seen have you seen the stand, Ben? The stand which we reviewed on this the week's episode stand. of Pilot TV no, podcast. Oh, uh, that has Nat Wolf in it. That's Lloyd. Okay, Ooh. taking the Miguel Ferrer role. The answer to this question is, of course, Alex Wolf. Alex Wolf plays Spencer in Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. Nat Wolf plays Spencer in Jumanji: The Next Level because Alex Wolf was unavailable and no one noticed the difference. <laughs> He's uh, he's the older brother of Alex Wolf. They look so eerily similar. It's kind of it's so so freaking weird. Anyway, uh, all right. Here's another question. Here's another question. This is Alex Wolf or okay. Nat Wolf? Alex Wolf or Nat Wolf? Hereditary. Oh, that's Alex that's again, Alex. isn't it? I think that's I'm also saying Alex. That. I'm saying Nat. No, no, you're right. It's going to be Alex, isn't it? I think I'm, when I'm, I reviewed Jumanji The Next Level, I made a hereditary joke in there, so I hope it's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> it is Alex Wolf. Oh. Hey! So, Death Note, the Adam Wingard movie Death oh, Note. Fuck. Is that Alex Wolf or Nat Wolf? I think Alex that's Nat. This is Nat. That's Nat. This is Nat Alex. Are you just saying that because I've gone Alex Alex? You're thinking it's got to be Nat Nat? A little bit, but I also think it is. I I also do think it's Nat. I think that was... I'm playing the odds. Yeah. Never tell me the odds. (laughs) Does Alex have... He has a mole on his cheek, and I think Nat doesn't? Is that a thing? Yes, I think that's right. No, one of them has a mole on their cheek, and the other one has it on the chin. Yes. (laughs) Like, the mole is in a different place. Alex, it's it's the it's the family beauty spot, and they pass it amongst themselves <laughs> for different projects. Uh, the answer to that question: Who was the star of Death Note? It is indeed Nat Wolf. Yes. Nat Wolf, folks. All right, two more, two more for for a grand total of five. Mortal, Mortal, the Andre Overdahl movie that came out last year. It's a oh, basic Christ. retelling of the Thor legacy, but without the budget or Hemsworth. But it does have a wolf brother. But which wolf brother is it? Is it Nat or is it Alex? Is it Nat or is it Alex? I'm going to say Nat. I'm going to say Alex because I have no clue. I'm going to say Nat because I think Alex is maybe busier than doing this film that I've never heard of. (gasps) Wow. Sly. Whoa. I mean. Deep cut. He's just a bit of professional negligence as well. (laughs) Uh, It is Nat. 
Yes. Nat is in that movie. Interesting. To Alex, to Nat. <laughs> it's like too fast. Too fast. <laughs> Final round, Tokyo Drift. Here we go. <laughs> I want to see the film where Nat and Alex Wolf attack Liam Neeson in a kind of tundra wilderness. It's a kind of sequel to The Grey. Wolf Puncher 2. All right, here we go. The last question. Last question, folks, uh, is from 2009. It is a TV movie. We all have seen it. We all love it. It's Mr. Troop Mom. What? Mr. Troop Mom. Is this a Nat Wolf movie or an Alex Wolf movie? Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf? Nat Wolf or Alex Wolf? I feel like Nat is getting, you know, the short end of the lollipop here because he has done some bigger movies than this. And you <laughs> are making sure his has. career sound pretty small. I'm going to say Nat. I have no idea. I'm going to say Alex because I think Alex is slightly younger and this sounds like a kid's film and he would have been a younger kid in it. Which one was in Paper Towns? Well, James. Exactly. <laughs> there was obviously Nat. Okay, right. Yes. Okay, fine. And The Fault in Our Stars was Nat, right? That, that was, was Nat also too. Nat. Yeah. Okay. But Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 was the other one. <laughs> Interestingly, Alex was in The Standoff. But Nat was in the stand. <laughs> oh, God. This is not helping. I love it's that we've got, we've got a Wolf Brothers spoiler special podcast we're recording now. <laughs> where we're literally just spoiling the Wolf Brothers. So anyway, anyway, answer the fucking question. Right. Alex, whatever, whatever the question was, Alex. The answer is Alex. Yes. And oh, Nat. What? Whoa! They both in it. No twist. Psych. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's right. Oh my god, Mister Troop Mom, two thousand and nine. Like the TV show, The Naked Brothers Band features both Wolf Brothers. Uh, it's directed by William Deere, written by Thomas Ian Griffith, and stars funny man George Lopez as a dad who volunteers to chaperone his daughter's camping troop, unaware he'll be the only guy in a world. Of girls. Uh, Jane Lynch is in it as well. It's Miss Hulka. And uh, yep, both Wolf wow. Brothers playing themselves. Oh, are they playing themselves? Or is Nat playing Alex and Alex is playing Nat? Because that would be Alex much more interesting. Alex is playing Nat and Nat's playing Alex. <laughs> it's like a real life parent trap. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't they do the parent trap with these two? Yep. I mean... It it is you hard to say. You can save the fortune with effects. Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, that was a fun game of wolf or wolf. And <laughs> yes. um, come back next week for our new quiz, Help One of Our Treadaways is Missing. <laughs> <laughs> we could also do Jason London or Jeremy London because it took yes. me so long to realise the guy who plays Pink in Dazing and Fuse is not the same guy that plays TS in Mallrats. And that confused me greatly for many years. No, some of the ones that get me are actually the ones that are not related at all. Like I was reading up about a certain film, well, we'll come to it today, and it's uh, Scott Glenn and Sam Shepard. I know they're different people. The right stuff. Yeah, I was reading about the right. I know that they're different people, but it really just took me a moment to remember which one was which and to keep track of which one is which. I have a, a massive you know, just generally laconic, cool dude kind of blind spot about them. And I can usually figure it out, but it uh, takes me a good run That's why you're always mixing up. me and James up. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm laconic. He's cool. Is, is that is it? We're a double act. Are we sure? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, do you remember back, like, cast your minds back to the very beginning of the podcast when I uh, asked about Christmas movies and Ben hadn't even answered that bit. And yes. also Christmas 
film-related presents did we oh, get yes. any? Um, I, I had a lovely Christmas, by the way. I was very lucky. I ended up at my mum and dad's just before all of the um, extra... I'm calling the police. Yeah, after all, just before, sorry, all of the other measures went in. Right. And I watched loads of stuff over Christmas. I watched Soul and I loved it. I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I thought it was excellent. I caught up on Mulan, which I really enjoyed. Um, I also watched, has anyone seen Monsoon? I caught Monsoon on iPlayer, the Henry mm-hmm. Golding oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. film. And that was just exactly what my mm-hmm. brain needed. It was very serene and calming and kind of a, a, a nifty sort of companion piece to The Five Bloods in a way. Because mm. it's sort of returning to Vietnam and different generations, how they respond to what happened there in the war and all of that. So, mm. um, yeah, watch some lovely stuff. And not technically movie, but I, of course, got some Mandalorian Lego for Christmas. So I'm sitting here with my little Mando minifigure. I also have a Cara Dune over here. They both have very big oh, guns. I love the little Mago hat that comes with that. That's Did you nice. get the Razor Crest? I didn't get the Razor Crest. I got the ATST from the uh, season one episode uh, with the swampy planets. Mm. Okay. So that's that's three quarters built. That's downstairs. Um, it just needs the little top. I've done the legs. I've done the sort of main carriage. It just needs the top uh, to slot on. Amazing. So, uh, super Amazing. chef for that. Well done. My siblings and, and uh, you know, brother and sister-in-law got me uh, little baubles with Lego Wolverine and Lego Captain America in them, which work really well because I also got a bauble with myself in a bar humbug t-shirt in this, uh, also a Lego minifig. So oh, now I like God. my little, my, my little minifig has like two minifig boyfriends. So it works out really well, but they're all in bubbles. So it's, it's totally COVID legit. You spent a Christmas break in a Wolverine and Captain America sandwich. I mean, I didn't, but my minifig did. Yeah, sure. That's what we're calling it, is it? <laughs> do, you, do you pretend that the cap one, um, because he's isolated and in a little bubble, like he's frozen, like he's frozen, frozen cap? Yeah. yeah, it's pretty It's pretty upsetting. Although he's actually technically in his Winter Soldier costume, so it's very confusing uh, in that respect. Yeah. But- Continuity-wise, that doesn't mm-hmm. check out. Jimbo, any <laughs> film-related Christmas presents? I don't think I saw much in the way of other humans over Christmas, so most of the presents I got were purchased for myself. Um, <laughs> I did re-watch Wonder Woman 1984 over Christmas. I enjoyed it less than I did the first time. And so, you didn't enjoy it much the first time. I didn't enjoy it much the first time, it can be said. So, no, it's a strange present to I, give I was watching it, and during the time I spent watching it, I was burning Ben in effigy, which I think is, you know, fair. I thought I felt a, uh, a soft burning sensation over uh, Christmas Day. That was, <laughs> are you sure it was a voodoo doll or something? Yeah, that's right. It was actually a little baby Yoda. I just sort of set fire oh. to it in the garden. Yeah. Oh, you're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> what did you get, Chris? What? What was that? What did you, what did you I was about to ask you. Well, thank you, Helen. Thank you so much. Uh, what did I get? That's a really good question. Uh, I got Mandopoly. Mandopoly. I got hmm. the Mandalorian version of Monopoly. So I'm kind of a casual collector of different versions of Monopoly. I have a James Bond Monopoly, I have a Friends Monopoly, I have a Marvel Monopoly, I have a Beatles Monopoly, I have a Liverpool Football Club Monopoly. Uh, I don't have the actual Monopoly, but now I have a Star Wars Monopoly, and now I definitely have have the... Lord of the Rings? No, no, no. Is that that Sam? That would would not appeal to me. Um, But uh, no, no, I don't have that. But who knows, 20th anniversary and all that, maybe I'll get one. Uh, But yes, I also have a now a Mandalorian version of Monopoly, and the big surprise with that was that it is different 
It is mm. not what you expect. It is they have changed the rules. So in the world of board gaming, uh, as I've discovered, having dipped my toes into it tentatively over the last couple of years, it is full of people who look down their noses at things like Monopoly and Cluedo and you know mm. the traditional board rubbish. games that we would play on you know with your family over over Christmas. Mainly things that involve dice. Uh, they don't. They they frown upon that unless it's got those you know weird funky twenty side businesses. Um, so this the Mandalorian version seems like a not entirely successful attempt to marry the two. So there's a kind of combat side to the game where you're fighting against the Empire and you have to protect the child icons. You only can only play with four players, and you can't play as a child. You have to collect the child and then protect the child from the dread Moff Gideon and his death troopers, those fucking twats. And uh, But there's also a bit where you have to land a property and buy it as well. It's really <laughs> weird. Capitalism meets intergalactic <laughs> imperialism. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I don't think Mando's the type of person to, you know, buy property and scatter no. it around the galaxy. But uh, but you know, we should play it, especially if we are going to be doing streaming and stuff during lockdown. Maybe we should play a game. I could try and position a camera over the board and mm. get the four of us mm. and we could have a we could have a, a, a merry old Grogu time. Do not pass Grogu. Do not collect 200 credits. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that. It's, it's, it's 70 credits when you pass go. It's, it's, everything's yeah. different. The money the you get is different. Rates it's very strange, but uh, I've only played it once, but um, maybe we can play it again. But anyway, this is taking far too long, and we haven't <laughs> even got to the three-fact structure yet, because, oh, oh, yes, indeed, one of my New Year's resolutions was to torment you endlessly and <sighs> never drop this segment. Here it is. We're back, folks. Ben texted us in the WhatsApp about two hours before the show began, going... Dare I ask where the three-fact structure is is still in? Yes, you dare, Ben. And yes, it is. In case you don't know what this is, in case this is your first podcast, and let's um, be frank, if it's your first podcast, you're not listening to this, you've turned it off a long time ago. <laughs> Around about the time we were asking which wolf brother is which. <laughs> but if, it, if you have stuck with it so far, the three-fact structure is the part of the show where my three colleagues of such lethal cunning bring in a film-based fact and try and wow me with it. The more arcane, the better. Ben. Go. So, due to the things we're going to talk about later in the show, I was thinking about Robert Rodriguez. Uh, and obviously, he's been doing all sorts of things at the moment. He uh, obviously is going to be a producer on the book of Boba Fett. He helmed an episode of The Mandalorian. And so, my fact is that Robert Rodriguez and George Lucas actually go way back. So, back in 2001, <laughs> I know that's an underwhelming fact initially. I just found this stuff quite interesting. Um, uh, back in 2001, Rodriguez made Spy Kids, big change of direction for him, and he did post-production on Spy Kids at Skywalker Ranch. Uh, and he obviously met with George Lucas there, and uh, Lucas then introduced him to all the high-definition digital filmmaking tech that he was using at that time to make Attack of the Clones. So Rodriguez was shooting on film for Spy Kids, and uh, Lucas introduced him to all of his like cutting-edge digital tech. So when it came time to make Spy Kids 2, uh, that was again one of the very, very early films shot on digital. So... <laughs> Hang on. You don't have a fact, do you, Ben? No, I do. <laughs> this is this is my desperately buying time. <laughs> Rodriguez adopted that technology to make Spy Kids too. Yep. And then together 
Lucas and Rodriguez um, and a couple of others held this conference with a bunch of like the biggest directors in the world to okay. be like, look what digital HD can do. Scorsese was there, Spielberg was there, Zemeckis was, was there, Ron Howard was there, a bunch of people and showed off this technology. And that's kind of it. <laughs> it wasn't really going so, anywhere. So wow. just to be clear, your fact is these two guys met and then had a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> but, and then now, <laughs> yes, basically, and then now it's come full circle because Rodriguez has made a Star War and he's going to produce more of a Star War and he has a big connection to George Lucas. Fucking hell. Wow. <laughs> okay. There was a seminar. That That is tremendous. <laughs> Can you imagine them showing that technology to Martin Scorsese and he's going, this is tremendous. Can I use this technology to make my 70-year-old friends look maybe 68 <laughs> at best? And they go, yes, yes, Marty, you could. Yeah, I'm all in. Um, all right. That, I mean, the that- bar, guys. I don't even think there is a bar. Yeah. You know. Jimbo. Hello. So We've my- been- No, this has been a long one already, James. So let's try and make it quick. <laughs> Right, my PowerPoint presentation story uh, begins. <laughs> Slide ten <laughs> begins with Batman Returns. I wish to talk about Batman Returns, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. That isn't Alex Wolf. Correct. <laughs> Alex Wolf is in fact the star of Batman Returns. Yes. Uh, no. So this obviously features the Penguin, and to accompany the Penguin, they needed many penguins, uh, you know, for window dressing. So. Boo. The production wanted to use uh, king penguins, but the only tame ones in captivity were apparently at a bird sanctuary in the Cotswolds. So we're like, that's fine. We can import these flightless motherfuckers and bring them over here. So they set about doing that. There were some concerns from animal rights groups when they started doing this. and so They started protesting after finding out that these penguins were going to have rockets strapped to their backs. I can't emphasize enough these were not real rockets. However, However, the onset penguin wrangler, one Richard Hill, did explain that they were making sure the penguins were comfortable. In fact, he said, in fact, he said, he would go as far as to say they were in luxury. They were flown over from the Cotswolds in a the refrigerated hold of a plane. They were given their own artificially chilled trailer with swimming pool and a half ton of fresh ice every single day with fresh fish brought in daily straight from the docks. They also had an around the clock penguin bodyguard to make sure they were all safe. It was walking about had the same rider. It was summer. It was nearly 40 degrees outside, but they had to keep the set they were on completely chilled down to just over one degree to keep the penguins nice and, you know, frosty, whatever they need to be. So bear in mind what Michelle Pfeiffer was wearing during that film. That cannot have been a fun film to shoot. So according according to uh the american humane association however however the scene in which those six emperor penguins uh act as pallbearers for the penguin they are not in fact real penguins those were those were little people in penguin suits but but that's that's that that's the fact that's my penguin fact penguins in luxury on batman returns but i'm gonna give you a, a supplemental fact about one of those penguins which is missy missy the penguin missy the penguin is the matriarch of england's only colony of emperor penguins and uh, emperor and, and or king? It's getting very. I think confusing it was. I think on. I see. I used a couple of different sources for research. Queen, I surely. think they're emperor penguins. Okay. Uh, I don't know. We stand a penguin queen. <laughs> Anyway, so so Missy, Missy, who was the leader of the Penguins in the film Batman Returns, she in 2013 was dubbed the oldest living penguin in captivity in the world at the age of 36, two years older then than Guinness World Record holder Older, who is a Gen 2 penguin from Denmark. However, and and prepare to be sad, Missy passed away 
in 2019 no. in her in her no. 40s no. Uh, as the oldest living penguin but of course are you sure it wasn't the wrong missy it was not the wrong missy it was the right missy uh that she died but oldie is still alive so oldie has now overtaken missy and at 41 is now the most senior oap old age penguin in the world in captivity because you know wild ones could be thousands we don't know how could Missy have overtaken Oldie and then Oldie overtake Missy back in terms of age? I don't understand that. Oldie was the Guinness World Record holder. Missy okay. presumably thought she was above Guinness, so did not submit her record as while I being see. older than Oldie. But then Missy died, allowing Oldie to overtake her. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, Helen, not a lot of sense. But when more people sense. die, they stop aging. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. That's that's super helpful. We have, we've talked about your penguin hatred on the podcast before. This oh, is not something that's just have. come up, haven't we? Many, yeah, but, many times. Yeah, just, it would just have been for, a long just time for ago. new listeners, I yeah. didn't like March of the Penguins or Happy Feet, and I therefore became branded <laughs> as a penguin hater. You had a sign, though, as I recall, on your even computer. Though, yes, I did. Somebody, you put it on my computer. Um, <laughs> even though I do like Surf's Up and I do like the baby penguins in, you know, David Attenborough documentaries, because I'm not a monster. What about the penguins of Madagascar? Where do you fall on them? They're funny. I think they're funny. Yes. So it's really just Happy Feet and March of the Penguins. March of the Penguins is a dishonest, you know, piece of rubbish. Well, you just thought the acting was bad. The penguins weren't really feeling it. No, I thought the voiceover voiceover was a a lie. It keeps going on on about mummy penguin loves daddy penguin and this is true love. And it's like, I mean, they mate for a season and never see each other again. So I I don't think it is actually, but (laughs) true. Okay. (laughs) Anywho. So the ethically non-monogamous penguins offended you. (laughs) No, no. They, let me be clear. I respect their ethical non-monogamy. What I don't respect is having them forced into heterosexual, um, you know. Heteronormative kind of paradigms of what penguinship should be. Exactly. Anyway, sorry, should I do a fact? (laughs) (laughs) Only if it involves penguins and PowerPoint presentations. Should I just do a really quick one? Like, I've got a couple, but let's do the really, 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 really fast one, Mm. Um, which is that when the rights went on sale for the right stuff, Tom Wolfe's novel about the space race, which is, of course... Not Nat Wolfe or Alex Wolfe? Tom Wolfe. And now you've made me doubt myself, but Tom Wolfe. Yes, when the rights went on sale for his enormously popular novel about the Mercury 7, there was a bit of a bidding war, which obviously Irvin Winkler won and made the film that we all know and love. But the other contender was a Universal who wanted it to make a John Belushi comedy. I presume he was still alive. He was still alive at the time. I'm okay, I'm happy to good. report. Yeah, Phew. just just to be clear, makes, makes <laughs> anyway, more sense that just now. struck me as amusing. Uh, the rights eventually went for three hundred and fifty thousand pounds, but they were planning on making literally like an airplane style movie, and uh, Winkler wow. obviously wanted to make a serious one. They hired Bill Goldman to write the first version of the screenplay, but he left out Chuck Yeager, so they got somebody else in to redraft. What they brought someone else in to be the Jaegermeister? That's exactly right. Well done. Holy cow! This is incredible. All right. Um, ben, let's yes. go to you. <laughs> no, no, that that was my fact, Chris. Oh, really? I thought it was some there sort was... of elaborate performance art. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there were some facts in there. Um, I guess, sure I guess if you wanted was. to... <laughs> a man met another man is yeah. not a fact. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is it a is. fact. It is a fact. Oh, that, wait, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just not a fact I wanted to hear. Can I tell you the most interesting thing I learned this week, but it's actually a TV fact, so I couldn't use yes, it? Yes, Helen, of course. Have you heard, you, you'll know this, James, surely the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, The High Ground. Uh-huh. Do you know about this? I know it the episode. It wasn't broadcast in full in the UK 
until I think 2006, and it wasn't broadcast, and that was on Sky, terrestrial, it was 2007. And that's because data mentioned in passing that Ireland was unified in 2024. <laughs> and that was not allowed to be shown on I TV originally. I did not know that. That's so hilarious. Did not, they did not show it un unedited until 2007. Wow. There that's you go. Amazing. And we're right on schedule, guys. Right <laughs> on schedule. Yeah, actually, I, that's that's a very, very good point because I had that. I had a Next Generation box set, but that episode wasn't in it. And one day I was talking to Ian McGregor and I said, I don't have this episode of my Next Generation box set. And he went, <laughs> it's Uncle Chris. I have the high ground. No, no I saw the way that was going. So and I checked out as soon as I could. Like no. an oncoming train, but there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to escape, no. Just, I hate you. <laughs> This is the one where Dr. Crush has taken hostage, isn't it? Sounds right. Sure. They're on some planet Let's somewhere. And the IRA grab her and it's something like that. Yes. They have to be voiced by other actors. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> 2024, eh? May want to be a couple of years out the way things are going. But anyway, let's, let's move on. Fucking hell. Let's move on. <laughs> it's only been 50 minutes. Don't know it's what only, you're worried yeah. about. Why not? Uh, okay, let's stop this and let's move on to the listener question. That was the three-fact structure. The winner was James. Well done, everybody. <laughs> what? <laughs> now it's time for the listener question. Uh, we have two listener questions this week. You'll be delighted to know. Uh, the first one comes from our old pod chum, Sam Clements, uh, hey. of the Picturehouse podcast, whenever that's around. And of course, of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival podcast, which I highly recommend sam is good people he simply asks what are our cinematic new year's resolutions and i would have to say first off the bat that my resolution this year was to make this podcast shorter <laughs> how's that going chris it's not going well jimbo i'll be honest with you we're four hours into this record and we're only on section two of four with a 40 minute interview with a guest yet to come so it's going really really tremendously well but i will also say my other cinematic resolution obviously to watch more films i uh, don't maybe watch as many films i know people who, who watched between seven to nine hundred films last year i think that's too much personally but my other resolution is to be kinder and gentler and say less shit about people and filmmakers. And we're going to see how well that resolution will stand up when we talk about <laughs> We Could Be Heroes later in the show. I don't think we're unkind usually. Maybe about no. some films. I mean, no. you know. Anonymous, lovely, maybe, lovely but otherwise. People. Ben gave Wonder Woman 2 four stars. Like, that's the ultimate oh my God. gift. It's, it's a really enjoyable film. I made a long list of uh, of films to watch while I was reading the book and some or while I was writing my book and some of them I actually have watched already, so that's good. But others um, I uh, are still on my to-do list. So there's a huge number of films out there, mostly by female filmmakers or starring amazing women that I'm planning to watch in the next few months. What's the book, Helen? Oh, thanks for asking, Chris. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Uh, it's called Women versus Hollywood, and it's out uh, in February. There was some talk of it being pushed back because of, you know, everything, but I think it's still going to come it. out February 18th. I finished it, I swear, I promise. I, I did try and tweak some stuff, but it's going to be fine. There's going to be an audiobook. There will be a US release, but it will be later. But, uh, but can yeah, I do it's, the audiobook, it's on Callum? the schedule. Can I, can I mansplain Women versus Hollywood to everyone via your audiobook? 
that, on that women sounds... versus Hollywood this week. Well, <laughs> what Helen means with this sentence is actually this. <laughs> I mean, that's not hilarious. Um, but you know what? I mean, the studio's books and everything. You're probably busy. It's fine. <laughs> Let me just write it up on my invisible typewriter. <laughs> so, Women versus Hollywood is coming out. Uh, Jimbo, what's your resolution? I'm going to try really hard this year not to say bangly bang once on the podcast. Oh, mm. come on, man! It's going nearly <laughs> as well as Chris's. Yeah, that, that's that's my that's my resolution. Wow, aiming high. Ben, what's yours? I've set a couple of ones to like catch up on things. I recently got the complete James Bond box set, and I haven't seen a bunch of the old ones. Like, really, barely any yeah. of them. Um, so I've watched a, a couple of the oldies recently and had a good time with them. Which ones? Which ones? I watched uh, From Russia With Love, mm. which was like, wow, this isn't really an adventure. This is like full-on Cold War espionage in a way that I found a little bit boring. Um, <gasps> but then I watched Goldfinger, and aside from all the insane 1960s misogyny, which, like, <laughs> honestly, there's so much of it, it's insane. <laughs> um, that aside, if you can take that aside, um, Goldfinger was great, really enjoyed that. Obviously, not they're not old ones, but I rewatched all of the Brosnan ones recently because they were the ones I grew up on. And again, kind of mad how a lot of the 60s misogyny is still there in the 90s movies. But, um, <laughs> but that was really fun. I actually it preferred Tomorrow Never Dies with its crazy typey, typey, typey um, to Goldeneye, which <laughs> really? I always thought Goldeneye was sort of the best wow. of the Brosnan ones. Ben Travis. Is that Elliot Carver? Says typing up tomorrow's news? Interesting about... <laughs> Tomorrow never dies. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Wow. Oh, so many typos. Nothing. <laughs> no idea what happened there. That is a hot take, Ben. I, I'm not having that. <laughs> Goldeneye is is the shit. Yeah. No. The whole Goldeneye was great, but tomorrow tomorrow never dies. Um, uh, I, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I really enjoyed how in the world is not enough. It was 1999, and they were like, we're just going to have an entire river chase so that we can have the Millennium Dome in every single shot. <laughs> Which at the time must have felt so like, wow, it's oh, it's nearly 2000. Oh, it's ex oh, look at the dome. And now it's like, wow, they really, really were trying to make the Millennium Dome a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Yeah. It's it such is a big a thing. thing. It's, it's London's iconic big tent. Yeah. I love it. Mm. It is cool. I like the um, the dangle way, the Emirates. I beg your pardon. Um, like <laughs> cable car thing that takes you. There is there is an account. I don't think it's really used anymore. There is a Twitter account called at Dangleway that is loads of sad tweets from from the perspective of the cable car. Like, hey guys, it's a bit windy today. Oh, the it's, cable car is a Dangleway, right? Yes, the cable I car thought is a you meant the the thing that's on top of the O2 oh, the that you can actually walk over. Oh, that it. you can walk on. No, no, no. The Dangleway is the is the cable car that takes you across mm. the river. Which oh, yeah. the one time I went on it, I went on it sort of the opposite way. So you leave from uh, the Millennium Dome and it, it sort of flies you into an extremely industrial wasteland. It does. I think it's much better going from north to south than it is See, going from south to north. I didn't know there was, there was this dangle thing. Like my, mm. my, I, I can't go to the, 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 the O2 because I have horror flashback PTSD from Empire mm -hmm. Live, which when we spent that entire long weekend at the O2 and I booked a hotel to, to, to stay near the 
venue and I booked it based, well, how would you book it? You said on the one that's closest to the Millennium Dome, the closest one, and it was like 0.2 miles. I thought, perfect. It did not take into account that those 0.2 miles were directly <laughs> over the fucking water. So unless you had a boat or the ability to swim very fast, you actually had to go all the way round the whole thing and it was about seven miles away. So, you know, I didn't realise it was like, I don't think there was that, that dangle thing. I don't think that went to where I was. It was definitely there when we did big screen. Does it go north to south? It, it goes, goes both ways. ways. Does it? it they yeah. built it for the Olympics, so it was definitely there. Yeah, yes. definitely <laughs> there. Well, well clearly I didn't know. And, you know, I just put on my wetsuit and dived straight in. I thought that was the best <laughs> way to do it. I know this is London. I'm pretty sure Boris Johnson was involved with the building of it, but even he wouldn't build a cable car that only goes one way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, didn't I used it certainly coming back from when we did uh, Star Wars Celebration because it actually goes quite near the XL on the other side. Anyway, this is super interesting for anyone. <laughs> that's what, that's what it's there for. It's there to get people from the XL, exactly. which is the huge conference center in London, which is now uh, was turned into a Night- Nightingale Hospital here, and I believe now it is going to be one of the major. Uh, vaccination points in the country certainly it's going to be london's big vaccination place so listen perhaps the four of us can get on to get together we can share a cab uh you know a, a cable car there and hopefully jaws won't appear and try and bite through the cable car and set us all plumbed into our doom jaws ben by the way is a reference to a roger moore bond movie if you haven't had that particular delight then i'm not going to ruin it for you but uh I haven't got that yet with, man with steel teeth incredible stuff the other catalogue that I'm working my way through at the moment is all of the old animated Disney films. Yes. Um, yeah, my friend Sam and I, Sam, who is a, uh, he's got a PhD in animation studies. He's like a genuine academic. Uh, and together we're watching through all of the old Disney, Walt Disney Animation Studios films. And we're doing a little podcast about that called Disneyversity. That's um, really good. Which I would love you guys to be on at some point. That'd be really fun. So yeah, we're, we're kind of slowly watching through all those. We've done the first five or six and yeah, it's been really fun watching through them so far. So I'm going to be watching through all of those as the year continues. Fantastic. Are you it's going just... to have the frozen severed head of Walt Disney on as a guest? Hopefully so. We're going to we're speaking to the cryogenics guys um, and finding out what the situation is with that. Um, maybe we'll try and do an episode from Disneyland first, just like <laughs> aim a yeah, little no, bit no, lower, good, and good. then we'll try and get the the severed head. Um, oh, is it severed? I feel like it's probably still attached. It's probably still attached, but in my mind, it's just perpetually spinning around it might be easier for them just to defrost the head than defrost the whole thing yeah. so that could be there you go that. delighted to be joined on disneyversity by the frozen head of <laughs> walt disney uh, which has been thawed out briefly just for this show walt can you just tell me about what was it like making snow white the seven dwarfs kill me <laughs> Thanks, Walt. So that much. wasn't one of the dwarfs' names. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. No, he was in The Hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> ben, my favourite is Sleeping Beauty. Just saying. Okay, I will. I will note that down. We're, we're going through all the like weird anthology ones at the moment. Oh, wow. But when you okay. get to the other side of that, you get the big stuff. You get Sleeping cool. Beauty and Cinderella and all that jazz. That's not a Disney movie. <laughs> So we're going to play a fun game now. It's uh, I'm going to give you a Disney movie, and you're going to tell me whether it stars Nat Wolf, okay. Alex Wolf, or the Big Bad Wolf. <laughs> Anywho, only kidding, only kidding. All right, so that's Sam's question done. Um, let's move very, very quickly on to a question that was asked by a couple of people, and that question is, I've lost it, from at Oliver George CL1 or at Ellis Hampton. They 
basically both asked the same question, the best film press conferences, the best press conferences on film. Ellis Hampton said political press conferences, but I'm oh. opening it up. I'm widening the question to best press conferences on film. Go. Best press conferences on film or best press conferences on films? Because if we were doing the latter, then I would have to say the proof of life press conference in which Russell Crowe called Taylor Hackford a dick. Uh, no, a knob. He was called him a knob publicly, uh, which made all the tabloid head headlines and was quite entertaining at the time. Was Taylor Hackford there? Uh, no, he wasn't. It was basically the whole thing that someone had said that Taylor Hackford had said, like, I mean, really was, it was like a proper passing notes at school sort of thing, that all of the sort of oxygen around proof of life had been eaten up by Crow and Meg Ryan's affair. And, uh, and Russell Crowe, being one to not mince words, just went off on one on the press conference, went, seriously, what a knob! And everyone's like, and that will be the headline for tomorrow! And so all the, all the tabs was, the headline was just, what a knob! With a picture of Russell Crowe and Taylor Hackford. There was also the um, press conference for, for Rogue One where Donnie Yen revealed that his character dies at the end of the film and it was months <gasps> before he? it came out. Yeah. yeah, I think there was, I can't remember the exact context of it, but yeah, Donnie Yen I remember basically. That. And then Tom Holland said, hold my blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> there were two that really stood out immediately for me. The first one, the one that sprung straight to mind was, I am Iron Man. Mm -hmm. That has to What's be the from, ultimate. It's <laughs> from this film called Iron Man. I don't think we've ever talked about it on this podcast. Uh, from 2008, a little independent film with this guy who wasn't really famous at the time called Robert Downey Jr. Uh, but he has this very famous line at the end. Uh, yeah, no, that that was the one that first sprung to mind for me. That's such a defining moment for not only the film, but the whole MCU going forward. Mm. Like the, the punk rock energy of that, where all the other superheroes at the time, it was like, oh, I have to keep my private life separate. And Tony Stark just... Step, steps up to the plate and is like, do you know what? I am Iron Man. That's a mic drop moment. That's his latter press conference. See, I've got a lot of love for the earlier press conference he does just after he's been released. And I would like to see mm. Boris Johnson adopt that kind of energy where he just does the whole thing slumped in front of the podium while eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> that is exactly the energy that Boris Johnson has been channeling this entire time. Just with less success, that's all. Feels like not the energy we need right now. <laughs> yeah, it's probably really. indicative of the mood, but not helpful mm. <laughs> for uh, moving things forward. I think what he needs to be aiming for is more of a Hugh Grant movie press conference, because of course mm. he's involved in two of the big ones. There's the Notting Hill one where he sort of in a very extremely roundabout way professes his love for Julia Roberts. And then there's hmm. the uh, Love Actually one, which we have, of course, talked about recently in our Love Actually spoiler special. But yes. um the one where a, a British premier actually says something useful and, you know, involving some balls. So I don't know. <laughs> that might be something to check out in future, Boris. Hey, hey, come I'm on. Let's saying. keep politics out of this. Let's keep, we're, all, we're all in this together. Are we're all we? in the same boat. Actually, no, they're in a, they're in a very, very different boat. Their boat yeah. seems to have an engine and uh, a steering wheel and a crew. And it's more of a yacht. And they're moving very, very far ahead of the rest of us. Oh, God, there's an iceberg. Oh, we're all dead. Anyway, they're on an island. No politics. Let's move on. <laughs> the the other one that jumped out to me was um, Gone Girl and Ben Affleck's mm. like weird grin, like oh, that weird yeah. smile he does in front of the the missing poster for for Amy Dunn. Yes, um, that is that was the other one that really sprung to mind of just like oh this just went horribly horribly wrong. Um, that that is the sort of defining image of that film for me. Him mm. sort of yeah doing that weird smile and all the press being like what <laughs> what. 
That's a good one. Anything else? Do you remember the the Deep Impact press conference where I Morgan do. Freeman is throwing Taya Leone a bone, and she's like she's like ten steps behind the audience. She's like and uh, and something about Ellie and what is it? And it's like everyone here knows what's happening except for you. For the love of God, get a grip! And she finally kind of gets it right. He gives her another go as well. I like yeah. Deep Impact about the extinction life event. And doesn't level. That extinction also, level event. Extinction level event. Extinction level event. Sorry, my, my mistake. My apologies to the extinction level event. And <laughs> I think that movie also ends with a Morgan Freeman press conference, doesn't it, in front of the, re- the rebuilding parts mm. of Washington yes, or whatever. If we're talking about outside press conferences, the end of film with a US leader making a speech after the world has been ruined, that pales in, into insignificance compared to Natalie Portman's one at the end of Mars Attacks. <laughs> That is a good one. Is it a press conference in The American President, that great speech at the end? It, it kind of is in that he's gone into the, the press room in the White House, but he doesn't take questions. So I don't know where we draw the line, you know, um, but that's a freaking barnstormer of a speech. That's one of the best, best ones ever. It is. I am the American president. Or is it, I am the American president of the United States of America? I think it's one of the two. No, I think he's <laughs> just and I am the president. I oh, am the president. That's right, good. he doesn't say, I am the president. <laughs> it's not one of those ones where you say the film title and you win a prize. <laughs> like, it's not that. <laughs> I am the American president of the United States of America. Of president. Um, I really like one. There's one, it's in The Hidden... The, I love this movie. I've mentioned mm. it a few times in the podcast, I'm sure. Uh, and I don't know why this would be apt, but there is an evil, well, it's not evil. There's a senator in the movie who is possessed by a a sort of slug-like alien, which has taken over his body. And he's potentially uh, about to announce his running for president. His press secretary is like, well, we're not ready to, to do that yet. But this evil slug loves power. And so he says from from you know, slightly off the podium, he goes, I want to be president. And then they go, what was that, Senator? What did you say? And he steps forward and then goes, I want to be president because that's what he wants. He wants power. Mm-hmm. He loves power and rock and roll and fast cars and cocaine. And then everyone goes, oh, yeah, whoa, yeah, you should be president. And I, I only mention it because I think it explains so much about where our current situation. <laughs> Well, it's the old Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing. Anyone who wants to be president should actively be barred from seeking the office. Yes, or because they are presumably they're being controlled by a giant alien slug. Is exactly. what I think. Yeah. Yes. Isn't there a press conference in the original Batman as well, the Tim Burton Batman, where Harvey Dent's given a press conference or Bruce Wayne's given a press conference? As you can tell, I didn't prepare for there, this one particularly. <laughs> That's Billy are. D. Williams, Harvey Dent, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Billy, Billy D. Williams and, and the Joker and his men show up and. Mm. Uh, and then in Batman Returns, there's a press conference that's interrupted by the penguin Penguins. stealing the yes, mayor. Yes, Missy. Stealing, it was Missy, no, wasn't just it? just one penguin, <laughs> the penguin, stealing the mayor's baby and vaulting down. Uh, it's one of the penguin's men actually steals the baby, vaults down the sewer, and then the penguin emerges following the signs of a fight with the baby, having saved the baby, which is how he establishes himself as a major figure in Gotham. I need a, a sort of a giant rubber duck car to drive around in. I think that would be an excellent look for me. Could have got you across the river after the yeah. Empire Library. <laughs> yeah, it would have been handy. You Get could have just hired doctors. Missy and five other penguins and just <laughs> strapped yourself to them and then they no. would have run across the, the Thames. I couldn't afford the uh, the upkeep. They're very high maintenance. 
They really are half a ton of ice every day or, or whatever it was. Um, I'm sure we didn't answer that to either Ellis Hampton or Oliver George CL1's satisfaction. But uh, but there you go. If you were screaming at the podcast device of your choice, going, you idiots, why have you overlooked the naked gun, for example? That scene where Frank Drebin is at the press conference to announce the security for the arrival of the Queen. And then he's drinking all the water. And then he goes to the toilet. He leaves his mic on. So everyone can hear him having a massive whiz and it goes on for ages. That may just be the best press conference scene of all time. And I just remembered it. So if we've missed stuff like that, for example, then do write in and let us know. Uh, If you want to have a question read out on the Empire podcast, we are on Twitter. I am on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt. That's the best way to get in touch with us these days. Just reply to one of my tweets or slide into my DMs. Uh, or if you must, also use the hashtag Empire Podcast. That really does help us sort the the Twitter question wheat from the Twitter question chaff. Um, just also Facebook, but no one uses that. And uh, you can email us at podcast at empireonline.com. I hope to be able to check those very, very soon. It's a time for our first guest of 2021. Yay. Full disclosure, folks, I entered 2021. Uh, we didn't have a guest for this week, but thankfully... Out of the shadows stepped a hero, and that hero was Will Wheaton. Oh yes indeed, Wesley Crusher himself, Gordy the Chance himself, Will Wheaton himself, from the Big Bang Theory, of course. Uh, He is now the star of next week's Rent-A-Pal, which is out on uh, DVD and VOD next Monday, the 11th of January, uh, in which he plays, well, it's a, it's a very, very strange film. It stars uh, Brian Landis Falkins as a 40-something, well, in fact, he is indeed 40, as a 40-year-old guy who lives with his mother. She has dementia. Uh, he is very, very deeply alone, very, very deeply unloved. He is desperately seeking a connection through a dating service, isn't getting anywhere. He Then one day he sees a video cassette called Rent-A-Pal, and Rent-A-Pal is a video cassette in which he meets, quote-unquote, Andy, played by Will Wheaton, who is a fun neat guy who has pre-recorded a bunch of video messages on this screen and the two of them form this weird twisted seemingly one way but may actually be two-way relationship and things go south very very quickly i had a blast talking to will wheaton who was an absolute delight we talked about Rent-A-Pal, obviously, we talked about his greatest acting challenges. We talked a little bit about Star Trek Next Generation, a little bit about Stand By Me as well. And I have to say, given what happened in the States last night, we started this interview just before things went south very fast. Um, So you may tell from the conversation we were unaware of what was unfolding in America uh, at the time. But anyway, here you go. Me talking to Will Wheaton. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Rent-A-Pal, Mr. Will Wheaton. How are you, sir? Oh, hello. I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, thanks for joining us. Uh, after the, the faff has pulled back the curtain a little bit, we were meant to do this on Squadcast, and then Squadcast wasn't working, so now here we are on Zoom. But uh, it's, it's all good. It's all part of 2021's great big magic carpet ride. <laughs> it certainly can't be worse than 2020. <laughs> How has your 2021 been six days into it so far? Uh, significantly better than 2020. Yeah. 2020 was a year that just took so much from so many. Mm. And, and it was such a, just a 
historical outlier, terrible year for so many people. And um, I have a lot of really mixed and conflicting feelings about it because professionally, I've had the best year of my life in 2020. Um, I worked more than I've ever worked before. Mm -hmm. And it's not just work that uh, is good right now. It's work that's building my career and, and work that is that I'm going to stand on the shoulders of in 2021 and beyond. But personally, it was one of the worst years of my life. Uh, just I lost so much. I lost friends. We lost um, my wife and I lost uh, uh, our dog, Seamus, who was 12 and we had him since he was a puppy. Um, uh, our, uh, our family got all split up because our kids moved out of state and because of the pandemic, we can't see them. So mm. like, <clears throat> I, am, I am super aware of my privilege and I'm super aware of how uh, fortunate and lucky I am to have had such a great year professionally and to have been able to sort of like, you know, kind of be insulated from the absolute worst of 2020. Um, but I'm so glad it is over. And I was just telling my wife this morning during breakfast, I can't mm. wait for the modern version of the roaring twenties that I really hope is coming. I hope that we have <laughs> this, like once we get people vaccinated and once we push back on the fascists a little bit, yeah. um, that maybe we'll have lots to celebrate and we'll be out, you know, having like, we're going to get the most out of life. I think I, I really hope that happens. I really, really hope so as well. Um, I don't know what it's like over where you are right now. Um, and I know it's been a tough year in the States particularly, but um, you know, have you been outside much recently? Do you get a chance to go out? You know, do you remember what the outside yeah. looks like? <laughs> yeah. So like I'm an indoor kid, I'm not athletic and uh, I'm way more comfortable with books and video games and, and, uh, and my imaginary friends at home when I'm alone. Uh, but we live in the suburbs and we have a dog and we walk every day. So we are able to, I'm very lucky and very fortunate and very grateful. Unfortunate to, to live where I live. Unfortunately, where I live right now, it is a hot zone and uh, uh, one in five people tested is coming back positive. Um, it's, it's something like, uh, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what the exact statistic is but the density of infection here is un unbelievable it's terrifying i'm 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 kind of appalled that we haven't locked us down and mm -hmm. and uh and given our emergency rooms a chance to recover yeah. um but you know we we head out with our dog and our masks and uh and we walk through our neighborhood um but yeah that's about it i haven't been inside i haven't been uh i stopped going to the grocery store about two weeks ago when it got real dangerous here um, and I'm going to say this a lot, uh, but I want to be super clear about it. I am aware of how privileged I am. I am mm. super aware of how lucky I am. I'm incredibly aware of how fortunate I am that I don't have to go work in a frontline job where I'm exposed to people who pretend that this isn't a serious thing and put my health and my family's health at risk. I don't have to go uh, out and go shopping for myself and my family. I can like mm -hmm. have somebody do it. I'm incredibly lucky. I'm incredibly grateful for it. Um, now, I, what's, I guess what's good about it is that I can only be afraid. I don't have to actually like put myself in harm's way uh, as often as, as so many people have to. It's such a terrifying situation. And it has been for 
pretty much a year. I was having an email conversation with someone today and I went, can you believe it's been almost a year since we, we went into the first lockdown? And it's, I don't know whether this is, whether it's just something in the air, whether it's just something in the water, but a lot of movies over the last year, you've been able to look at them through a pandemic prism, I think. Sure. And, and Rent-A-Pal, uh, by way of a, of a slightly clumsy segue, Rent-A-Pal. No, that was a beautiful segue. Did you like that? Yeah, it was really well done. It was really well done. I saw it coming. I saw it taking shape. And I was like, oh, I know what's happening. <gasps> oh, look at him work. It was a real pleasure to watch you work. I really enjoyed that. You know what? I haven't done an interview for about three weeks or so. And I was really rust. I was really worried about being rusty going into this. Would I be able to do a segue? Would I be able to do follow-up questions? And so far, so this is, it. this is the it. best interview I've done this year by oh, a wow. street. So I'm very, very excited about it. And uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about completing this question. And I am really excited about your answer as well. Because Rent-A-Pal is a movie that obviously is set in 1990. Yeah. But it feels like it was made for right now. Uh, yeah. It feels like it's a movie about this really, really lonely guy trying to connect and he's isolated and he has nobody to relate to whatsoever. But it also feels in a very, very real way, a bit like Taxi Driver, a bit like King of Comedy, a bit like Joker, if you, if you will, even from a few years ago. But it also feels like a movie that's getting to the heart of why incels if you want to use that word or yeah. people who feel disenfranchised or who are you know, maybe more on the right wing spectrum of things in the states certainly feel that way and what it is about them that, that radicalizes them and what it is about them that 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 aggravates them and 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 energizes them in that way and it feels very very timely as a result is that something that that you felt whilst you were working on it and obviously subsequently since it's come out when we worked on Rent-A-Pal, so um, we filmed this long before there was any even suggestion that there was a pandemic. We filmed it months before we knew this was going to happen. So that particular um, uh, uh, coincidence um, is uh, that's just that's just the thing that happened. Yeah. Um, uh, I have thought a lot about how this movie really talks about toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it really, I think it looks, and those other movies you mentioned as well, their protagonist never takes responsibility for their own actions. Every choice they make is in response to some perceived slight. They are the victim and the hero of their story. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the people who prey on those young men, because they're always young men. The, a lot of people who prey on those lonely men are looking to make them feel like they are victims, that, that world, the world is unfair. And it always comes down to these people tend to be young white men who are incredibly, incredibly privileged and are still struggling. So they take mm -hmm. those struggles and they blame them on everybody else. And they never look inward and they never, they never like work to overcome the choices that they are making that are, that are continually failing them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if all of that goes, <clears throat> I don't know if all of that goes on um, uh, in, uh, in, in Rent-A-Pal. Um, I think what we see is a, is a man who is incredibly lonely and, and doing his best 
to break out of that loneliness, but ultimately cannot overcome his own toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I feel like the character I play, Andy in rent pal could be a manifestation of that. The thing that attracted me to the script in the first place was not knowing if Andy is real or if Andy is just entirely in David's head through the entire picture. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought that was really interesting. And I thought that you could make a choice as an audience that it that he is and the movie is valid and it plays out and it works or that he isn't and the movie is valid and it plays out and it works. Yeah. Uh, that was the thing that really attracted me to the script. It's a really fascinating character. It's a great performance. And I think people will be surprised when they hear how long you spent filming on the movie. How long did you spend filming on this film? I shot all of my work in one day. <laughs> I was in a studio in Denver, Colorado. Uh-huh. Um, let me just take a moment to, to praise the hell out of the, uh, the crew that I worked with in, in Denver. They were amazing. I hope I will get to go back there and work with them again. They were just terrific. Just an incredible group of people working really hard together, all friends mm. um, to make this movie. And we were in uh, we were in a stage. The camera was on a dolly so it could push in and out. I was in Andy's little chair with a little very minimal minimalistic set. And uh, I worked off a teleprompter because I, I told uh, I told John, the director, there is no way I'm going to be able to learn all these pages of dialogue and just do it all without. Because the way that I learn a scene, what the way that I understand what's going on, the way that I remember stuff and like trigger lines is to react to what's happening from the other person. And, okay. and, uh, and, and then there's also physicality. Like I know when I'm in this part of the set, the scene isn't this part of the scene and, and this, this prop triggers that line or this place where I am, I remember in my body, this is how the, the dialogue comes out in this part of the scene. Yeah. When I'm just sitting in a chair and nothing's changing and I'm not having any interaction with anyone else, it's just, I'm just not good enough to learn all that stuff and remember all of it. It would be like learning a massive monologue. Uh, where you would need months of rehearsal. And uh, I worked off a teleprompter and I'm actually really proud of that because I don't think you can tell. Um, At no point are you physically reading, which which is great. (laughs) Um, uh, And we did it all in one day. Um, And one of the things that I loved loved about that experience was uh, uh, doing takes that John and I thought were squarely in the intention of the script. Uh, We were like, great, we nailed it, circle that one. Now let's try a take from a totally different place. Let's give Andy a completely different motivation and see what happens when that, because we had time to do that. Ah. And what ended up happening was John got all this footage where he was able to make Andy a little more erratic in editing than he is on the page because he was able to take performances that were slightly different, that were the result of us trying things and experimenting and putting them into the movie. And it makes Andy even, I think it makes Andy kind of dangerous um, Mm -hmm. because you don't really know how he's going to respond to things, which is what an abuser does. An abuser is dangerous. An abuser, like I grew up in an abusive household and like you you tiptoe around everywhere Mm because you're just, you don't want to set them off. And, uh, And that like, that experience of Andy being like occasionally volatile or whatever uh, 
um, was incredibly interesting to me and really only possible because of the way we filmed it. I mean, those are, those are really interesting and really specific choices. And you're going into this, this one day of filming. Um, how many choices have been made for you already? Do you know what your costume is? Do you know how you're going to approach the character or does it evolve organically over the course of the day? It's a little bit of both. Um, we had had some conversations, the costume designer and I had had some conversations and John and I had had some conversations. And when I got to the set, the designer had pulled a few selections and, and John was like, this is what I like. What do you think about this costume? Here are some other options if you, you know, feel differently about it. And I really Mm -hmm. liked what he had chosen. I thought it was perfect. And we sat down and, and we just chatted a little bit. John and I had had a couple of creative conversations before I was attached to the project. And then we had some more creative conversations after I was attached to the project. So we had done a lot of the homework before we actually got to the set. Um, but, you know, no plan of battle survives first contact with the enemy. So like getting, getting onto the set and then rolling and then realizing, oh, actually this thing that we thought was going to play out this way, it's not really playing out that way. We need to try, try it a little bit differently. Um, and in a, in a, in a role like this, it ends up being like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes of just sort of like warming up and getting loose and finding the groove. But then once, once I settle into the character and the director and I have kind of like, it's like a rhythm, it's almost like two jugglers passing juggling balls back and forth between them. Um, that rhythm has to be exactly right. And once you're there, you don't want to leave it. And we got there and then just stayed there for the rest of the day. <laughs> that sounds amazing. This is great. This is the, this is the acting dream, isn't it? It's the best, right? Like I think of Orson Welles saying, you always want to be a character like his character in The Third Man, where yeah. they just spend the entire two thirds <laughs> of the movie talking about you. And then you show up and you don't really do anything. You just show up, you, you know, you look good a couple of times, you have a couple of great lines and you just disappear. And everybody's like, wow, that, that guy that was in the movie for five minutes really stole it. And it's just like with that, it's the same thing with this. It's just like, just the character's so clear and everything is so clearly written that it was just, it just was not, it wasn't a slog and it was fun. There is, there are days where the work is so hard and uh, for one reason or another, as an actor, I'm not feeling it. And I just have to completely trust the director and just mm-hmm. trust and, and tell the director, listen, for whatever reason, I've lost the ability to be objective about my performance. I can't clock myself. I don't know if I'm there or not. All I know is I'm doing what I prepared, but for some reason, I can't feel what I, what I expected to be feeling here. You just got to tell me if I'm fooling you or not. Like, do you see me acting? And um, uh, when, when that happens, um, I just, I really lean on the director to just let me know I've wandered off or, you know, I'm, I'm where, where he wants me to be. And John and I had that great communication and, Mm. and because the script was so clear, and, and because it was so simple, it let us get through the day in a, in a real hurry. And we shot tons of stuff of Andy just fooling around. 
fooling around with the guitar, fooling around with playing cards, fooling around with with props and things like that. I don't think I think very little of it actually made it into the movie. I think maybe one one piece of it made it into the credit sequence. But okay. we just, you know, we had time to fool around like that, which was really fun. Are there other great acting days in your career? Is there something an, another day where perhaps it's your own performance, perhaps you've popped for whatever reason and perhaps it's the circumstances uh, whenever you think about the days when it's really come together for you, what's the day that pops into your mind? So what immediately comes to my mind, and this mm-hmm. is unexpected. I did not expect that this was the scene that was going to come into my mind, but because you asked. Okay. When I was working on Next Generation, I, I had an episode that was almost entirely Patrick Stewart and myself trapped in a cave, Picard's dying and Wesley's trying to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Wesley's saying, I'm not going to let you die. And I'm not going to let you down. And I'm going to, I'm going to save you. And we find out in that scene, we see how much Picard is Wesley's father figure. Yep. And we see how much that matters to Wesley. As an actor, I always worked real hard to be my very, very best when I had scenes with Patrick, because I respected him so much. And I wanted his approval. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted to, um, I wanted to be the actor he deserved to be in a scene with. I grew up never being good enough for my father. Uh, the man who was my father was an abusive bully who made it, who never missed an opportunity to let me know how little he thought of me. My mother enabled and protected him Mm. and then sort of used me to live her acting dream. And I'm real. I was before I ended contact with my birth family, I was very isolated in my house. Mm. Um, uh, I was the scapegoat in the family and um, uh, and it really sucked. Mm. That scene with Picard and Wesley was me saying to my dad, like, why can't I be good enough for you? This is what I'm capable of doing. I can do everything that you think I can't do, and I'm really good at it. And in this scene, Wesley is saving Picard's life. He's keeping him alive. Mm. I, as an actor, am acting as hard as I've ever acted in my life to be real and to not waste the opportunity and to rise to the occasion. And, you know, I'm never going to be a person who wins acting awards. It's just not in the cards for me. Um, I'm not in that strata of actors. But if I were giving myself like gold stars for performances that I'm really proud of. Yeah. There's just so much baggage and emotion wrapped up in that particular scene and that particular episode. It was Wesley saying to Picard, this is the ultimate test of a Starfleet officer. Can I get off this planet without leaving one of my fellow Starfleet officers behind? Can I save my captain? Can I rise to this? For me, it was saying, Fuck yes, I can rise to this. I can do all of these things and fuck you for never believing in me. 
And that's so weird that I hadn't put those two things together until literally right now when you asked me that question. Oh, wow. So even at the time, you you were unaware of those feelings coming through. Yeah, I didn't admit the reality of my abusive childhood until just a few years ago. I was trying really, really hard. I spent my whole life trying to convince my dad to love me. Um, and I finally realized that it just wasn't going to happen a few years ago. And it's something that you, you've clearly, you know, uh, I don't think you'll ever make peace with, but it's something that clearly you've, you've reconciled yourself. I mean, I've had to accept it. There's just, yeah. it's not going to change. My dad's like in his seventies and, uh, and had, has, and had up until I just said, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I am not going to subject myself to you anymore. I think I was, I was 45 or 46 when, when that happened. And mm. I'm 48 now. Mm. Um, so he had 40 plus years to treat me differently and just chose never to do it. My mother had 40 plus years to stand up for her son and, uh, and, and, and at least take me seriously when I said, he's so mean to me all the time. Like, like why isn't it, am I the only one who sees this? Mm. Um, mm. Uh, uh, she had 40 years to listen to me and, never, and chose to just ignore it. And I think, and I think that just to like to bring it back around, yeah, it informs a lot of the best roles I've ever played. The best characters I ever played are all characters who have who are in some level of pain. Gordy in Stand by Me is exactly me, like the weird, lonely, shy, awkward kid whose parents only see him when it is to their benefit, and even then, they barely see that he exists at all. He has a brother who is the golden child. So do I. Mm-hmm. He uh, cannot get his father's attention. Neither can I. He loves his friends and will do any for them, anything for them, just like me. And I never put that together. You know, when I was a kid, I knew that Corey was really angry. and He deserves to be angry. Corey's parents are even worse than mine. Um, River was uh, was wise beyond his years and should not have had to grow up as fast as he did. But that is exactly who Chris Chambers was. And Jerry O'Connell is the happiest, most optimistic, I'm going to win this thing eventually guy you'll ever meet in your life. And so is Vern. So like, I remember telling people for years doing interviews, the reason that movie is so successful is that Rob cast four young men who were those characters and, and like we, we a hundred percent knew exactly who we are, who we were. Right. Mm. And, um, uh, I never put it together. I was so manipulated by my mother and in such a codependent, dangerous, unhealthy, painful relationship with the man who was my father Mm. that I never saw Oh wait, hey buddy, look at look at look at Gordy. That's you. That's exactly who you are. Um, but in every role that I ever played, that piece of the character's life has been missing. The same piece that's missing from my life. That's 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 fascinating, and it's fascinating as well. Let's say someone like a Rob Reiner would have consciously or unconsciously dialed into that. Maybe the second you started reading for him, he. May he sense that on some level. Uh, maybe yeah. This the story, which I believe is apocryphal, mm. is that I I was one of the very first actors Rob saw for the role of Gordy, and the story that I've heard, and I don't know if it is true, but the story that I have heard 
is that I finished my audition, walked out of the room, Rob turned to one of the writers and said, it cannot possibly be this easy. (laughs) That's the story. I don't know if it's true. I would love it if that story were true. I think that's such a neat story. I love that. um, You know what? It's probably true. It's probably true. (laughs) I would love it if it were, if it were true, that would be great. But here's the thing, Will. Semper Ming is 35 years uh, this year, and... I know! I can't believe that! You can ask Rob yourself, because I'm sure there'll be all sorts of reunion stuff and shenanigans going on. Yeah, I hope we get to do some special things to remember it. You know, we did for the 30th... The 30th, or maybe it was for the 25th, we did a sit-down for one of our national morning shows in America. Um, Rob, Corey, Jerry... Rick Dreyfus and myself, mm. we all sat down and I remember walking into this. We did it at a theater in Toluca Lake, um, the Gary Marshall Theater. Mm. We walked in and they have director's chairs set up on the stage. And it's there is something somber about an empty theater that where the stage is lit. <laughs> there is yeah. something somber and beautiful about it to me. Yeah. Um, it is very much like imagine walking into the, to a cathedral and the only light is streaming in through giant stained glass windows. Like that's that's what a that's what a theater feels like to me. There's something real special about it. And I walked in there and I walked and I was just sort of saying hello and good morning to Rob. And Rob looks at those chairs and Rob says, "Feels like there should be an empty chair here for River." Oh man, that's the last time we all got together. That's what it's like when we get together because it is such a long time ago and all of Mm -hmm. us have done really wonderful things since then. But that's this experience that ties us all together. And it's an experience that put all of us on the map in, in, in a lot of different ways. And it is a tragedy and it will be a tragedy forever that we lost river when we did. Because he was the one that was going to break out. He was the one that was going to be the Tom Hanks of our generation. He was on his way to being Brad Pitt. He was, he was going to be a mega, mega, mega movie star. And I don't think he wanted that. I don't think River wanted the fame. I think River just wanted to work. Yeah. I think he just wanted to perform. Um, and it is, uh, it's weird. We get together and it's just like, we're all here and he's not, and he never got to see how much people really love his work. And that makes me sad. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess as well, any reunion naturally gravitates towards talk of River and, and talk of, of working with him as well, yeah. which, which tinges the whole thing with sadness. But there must have been so many great times on Stand By Me. <laughs> we had such a good time. Working on that movie was like being at a camp. Just it was just it was just being on holiday and and just getting to play with your friends and occasionally that play was disguised as work, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that whole experience was just wonderful. Uh, Rob was an amazing director and and the the producers were 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 awesome and they took such good care of us kids. They they never exploited us. They never made us work in conditions that were unsafe or conditions that were um, uh, uh, dangerous or difficult or anything like that. It was just like, let's tell this story together. And that's what we did. Mm. 
I must say that, I, I, as I said, I was listening to your appearance on, on King on the Kingcast, and you said you've never met Stephen King, which never. I know, amazed me. I know. So um, I have, I have a first edition of Different Seasons on my bookcase, <laughs> and I really want to somehow get in touch with him and ask him if he will sign it for me. Um, I've I've never actually like made the effort to you know reach out through channels like we can but i imagine that if i wanted to there's a non-zero chance that would work and what would you do with it though would you immediately sell it on ebay or would you oh no i have a collection of things that i call my presidential library Mm -hmm. scripts call sheets one sheets posters notes um early manuscripts press clippings, things that I want to have for myself, but that also I want, I have two adult children and the, the likelihood of, 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 of me having grandchildren sometime is, is very good. And Mm -hmm. I want to leave something for my family and my descendants to know me by and something like that, that would be proudly displayed. It, with my first edition of The Day Lincoln was shot, signed by the author. Um, and and I would, I'll just keep them on display on my bookcase, you know, with my first editions. But then it goes into the presidential library. And if my, if my descendants are like, we can get five space bucks for this in, in our dystopian future. <laughs> we can get two food rations for this. Great. Take it. <laughs> Yeah, we do seem a long way from Starfleet at the moment, don't we? We do seem a long way from that a sort little of bit. the Roddenberry utopia of the future. But listen, I have I have faith that it will happen, and I have faith that Stephen King will sign your book, and we'll all be happy. It'll all be good. <laughs> I'm uh, into it. I know you've been asked this before recently, but obviously you are hosting these after shows for oh. Discovery and Picard and Lower yeah. Decks and... Uh, and Star Trek is such a huge thing for you still. Uh, so I love it. Can, can Wesley come back? I mean, Picard seems to be dipping back into the nostalgic well. Yeah. Uh, I loved seeing Riker and Diana pop up. I know, me too. What about Wesley? If they ask me, I'm going to do everything I can to get to yes. I would absolutely love to see, like, okay, so as a fan, mm-hmm. I would love to know what is going on with the canonical Wesley Crusher as, as he exists in Star Trek Picard. In my head canon, Wesley Crusher is a time Lord and travels through all of space and time. (laughs) So that probably is incompatible with whatever the official line is, but you know what, if I'm not allowed to have fan fiction about my own character, then nobody's allowed to have fan fiction about anything ever. So I think I I expect all of y'all to be on my side on this. If Wesley's a Time Lord, does that mean there's a Doctor Who crossover? What, what happens there? 100% there's a Doctor Who crossover. <laughs> there absolutely is. <laughs> Cybermen and Daleks and Borg. It's going to be amazing. So, so yeah, if they, if they were to ask me, I would love to do that. I would love to do that as a fan. I would love to do that as an actor. I mean, you know, and you might get one last really cracking scene with, with Patrick Stewart as well, which would be, would be yeah. a lovely way to to cap off your Star Trek journey. Yeah, it, it really, really would. The, um, the, the emotional closure of that moment would be amazing. 
Well, listen, let's, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, let's put it out in the universe and see what happens. And, uh, and, and fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Finger, Although Fingers you, super crossed. Well, you might be, you might know more than you're saying as well. You know, you, you might know already that, you know, Wesley's in Picard season two and <laughs> it's all happening and this is hoodwinking on a grand scale. And I'll be furious if it, if, if it is. Oh, that's all possible. If I knew, I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> this is very, very true. Um, but we, we shall see what happens. I think on that note, sir, I'm going to let you go. We'll wait. And, uh, it was my first interview of the year, but I think I knocked it out of the park. And that was largely in part, largely in part to you, sir. So thank you very I much. I think indeed. we did some really great work. And uh, uh, it's been a real pleasure and a privilege to speak with you. I'm a big fan of the podcast. So uh, it is an incredible honor. Uh, to be uh, to be in your slate of remarkable guests. <laughs> oh, stop it, you! Uh, thanks very much, indeed. Will, thanks very Cheers. much, sir. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, so that was Will Wheaton and Rent a Pal. As I said, is out on Monday, December eleventh, on DVD and VOD, and it's pretty damn good. Well worth a look. Time now to talk about the movie news that has happened between December 18th when we stopped recording our last show and January 8th when we started recording this one, although it is now January 10th. <laughs> and I think the first thing we should talk about, we talked about this a little bit. Actually, we didn't really. We speculated about it on our last Mandalorian spoiler special, but because that's behind a paywall, we should talk outside the paywall about the confirmation that there is a new Star Wars live-action TV show dedicated to Boba Fett, and it's going to be called The Book of Boba Fett. It will be executive produced by Robert Rodriguez, John Favreau, and Dave Filoni, and it is not going to be The Mandalorian Season 3. That will follow along shortly thereafter. This will be out next December. I want to, I want the book of Boba Fett to be literally that. I want it to be Boba Fett's book club, so you just see him sitting there reading yeah. the latest Reacher book for like 25 minutes. Sounds restful, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think that might actually appeal to you, Helen, wouldn't it? I mean, it's better than most things he did in the films, at least. <laughs> you know, he's been quite fun in the TV, though. Uh, but yeah, this, this, you know, look, the TV version of Bob Fett has not been shit. So I, I am looking forward to them hopefully continuing with his not shitness and uh, and seeing what they do with him. I guess at least Ming Na Wen's in it, so that's got to be a good yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad this isn't the Mandalorian season three. We were kind of worried mm. by the end of Mando season two. I'm not going to f- spoil it, but nope. there were reasons to consider whether it might change a lot of things up in that sense. And I'm glad that we're returning to to Mando Mando uh, for season three and having Boba Fett as his own thing. And they finally found an outlet for Boba Fett. There's been talk of them doing something with him for years and years and years. Obviously, that was going to be the Josh Trank film uh, as a Star Wars story a few years ago. Um, so it seems like they've found a way that they actually want to present this character these days. feels like there's good ground to explore. My main issue is whether this sounds like it could potentially push Mando season three to early 2022 because Book of Boba Fett is confirmed for December 2021 mm-hmm. and Mando is going to air afterwards. So depending on how long Book of Boba Fett is, it could be like a three episode miniseries. It could be something like that where you get all three episodes in December and then late December is when Mando starts. But if it's a longer series, I think um, the current official word on Mando season three is it's 2021 TBC. So that's my only slight reservation is like, I'm looking forward to the book of Boba Fett, but it means probably a little bit longer to wait until we're back with Mando Mm. again. 
there was a worry about that. Uh, we discussed it on the Mandalorian spoiler special. I really didn't want to leave Mando alone and go off with this much less interesting character uh, in Boba Fett. You know, I'm sure they'll make him compelling and I'm sure they'll make him interesting. And, you know, as you say, they've got Ming-Na Wen's Fennec Shan for him to bounce off. And he, you know, he seems to be going back to those slightly immoral ways. The, mm-hmm. the Boba Fett of season two of The Mandalorian was much more of a, an honorable gentleman, but this seems to be much more of this sort of rambunctious rapscallion that we, we know and Helen in particular fell in love with in The Empire Strikes Back <laughs> and Return of the Jedi. <sighs> the only pronouncement is that this will film first, and I think it's filming now or very, very close to filming now, and then it will be followed by filming on Mando season three. We know that the way Disney Plus are rolling out their content means that it'll be ever-present in our lives. So we have WandaVision starting very, very soon. And the second that finishes, it was confirmed this week that it's actually nine episodes, not the six that uh, many people, including myself, had been told. <laughs> and, uh, and it's going to have a theme song written by Robert Lopez and his wife, Kristen Anderson Lopez. So we're very much looking forward to that as well, especially if it's sung by Olaf. Am I right? Hey. And especially because it's multiple theme tunes, I think there are going to be different theme tunes across representing different eras of sitcoms, which sounds like loads of fun. Immense. Yeah, I read that differently. I read that there's one theme, but they have written songs for different episodes because it's not one of those things with one division where each episode is a different sitcom era. Mm. So I don't know if that would work, but hey, we'll find out starting January 15th, Disney Plus. Prices have just gone up, as with Netflix. But um, after that finishes, they're going to go straight into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then after that finishes, we have Black Widow, hopefully, (laughs) pandemic notwithstanding. And then when that is out in cinemas, then we have Loki. Then after that, you would presume that they would throw in maybe Andor might be finished by that point. When that finishes, there'll be something else. When that finishes, there'll be something else, and so on and so on and so on, and it will outlive us all. That's the only thing that is absolutely constant and inevitable in this life. I, for one, welcome our new Marvel TV overlords. Why not? Why the hell not? But I I do wonder whether we might get a a situation where Mando Season 3 and Boba Fett are running at the same time. I I, I do wonder. We shall see. Um, Idle speculation is where we live. Uh, Speaking of (laughs) idle speculation, so... They've announced tentatively Wonder Woman 3. Oh, yeah. It's very hard to gauge how it did at the box office over the Christmas period. Obviously, it did pretty well. But I've seen certain people report that it's um, that the take-up on HBO Max perhaps wasn't as great as people had anticipated. And mm. that it equated roughly to an opening weekend of $71 million, which... If this, if this was a normal situation and Wonder Woman 1984 had opened to $71 million, we would be writing box office obituaries right now. So, you know, it's not a normal situation. And HBO Max has, you know, had a very slow uptake so far in, in its, since its launch in the US. And they were kind of hoping that putting all these films on HBO Max would suddenly, you know, make people want to pay $15 a month. But the fact is that's quite a lot compared to a lot of the other streaming services. And maybe people aren't quite feeling, you know, confident enough in either its offerings or possibly in their own financial situation to kind of sign up to another service at this point at quite a high price point, I have to say. So it may not reflect on the film itself. And I do wonder if, um, 
you know, making assurances about future film production is one of the things that's helping Warner Brothers get everybody on board for this uh, new way of launching films simultaneously online and in cinemas. Maybe they're they're having because you know filmmakers are entirely right to say, well, it's not then fair to judge us on our box office performance if you're kind of taking away part of our box office audience. So they may be judging on different criteria than usual, perhaps. Indeed. Indeed. But Wonder Woman 3. Yay. I mean, look, we did have some some reservations, even those of us who were more positive than James, we had some reservations about this film. But I do think that the character is great. I think that she offers a different flavour to anything else that certainly Warner Brothers has going on so far. And in fact, you know, a different thing to what Marvel's doing. And that's valuable and it's good to have that. And I'm intrigued to see where they go with her next. Yeah, I, I really liked Wonder Woman 84 and I rewatched the original over Christmas as well and um, had a great time revisiting that. So I'm glad that they're both back for this, Gadot and, and Jenkins. Um, in fact, the way for me that you could feel Jenkins all the way through Wonder Woman 84 um, was one of its sort of highlights for me. The only thing I'm wondering is like how how they're going to fit this in around um, Rogue Squadron, a Star Wars film, which is out mm-hmm. in 2023. Some reports have said that Wonder Woman 3 is kind of on the fast track. And obviously it was delayed several times amid the, the pandemic and stuff. So there's a chance that they're kind of quite a way into the early development and potentially the screenwriting mm. process of that. Mm. Maybe they've had a few months uh, while they were waiting for Wonder Woman 84 to be released to, to get going on some of those things. Well, she had, I mean, she had the plan for it back on set of Wonder Woman 2 or 1984, which was, of course, two years ago. So for all we know, the script is written and ready to go. So yeah, maybe she's looking to shoot that and then do Star Wars afterwards, which I guess Star Wars, they could shoot 2022 to get it out for 2023. Uh, So yeah, who knows? Maybe Wonder Woman 3 could shoot later this year, pending everything being able to to shoot and, you know, yeah, pending everything. (laughs) (laughs) Most things are pending everything these days, it feels. Yeah, uh, because I think Doctor Strange 2, they've had to pause production for the moment that's that's in the uk and, and production on that's paused yes in this i know i wish they i think they wish they were shooting it in a, a parallel universe where covid doesn't exist have they i hadn't read that yeah i believe uh, elizabeth olsen has confirmed that uh that they've paused production for the moment blimey o'reilly protect sam raimi at all costs mm-hmm. uh, speaking of upcoming sequels that are highly anticipated the first trailer for coming to america dropped it's out in March, it was going to get a cinematic release, but now mm. I believe it's going to be on Prime Video. Hey ho! Uh, but this trailer looked like a lot of fun, it even did. if it was absolutely hitting all those nostalgic sweet spots. <laughs> yeah, it was very familiar, wasn't it? Yeah. How old are those men in the barbershop now? Oh, you know, even even assuming they were sixty <laughs> in the last one, and they looked older than sixty. You know, this it's been over thirty years. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a career for life. Yeah, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Barely looks a day older. Yeah. As indeed as Arsenio Hall, mm. it looks like uh, hopefully it's going to be a lot of fun. But watching the, 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 the trailer, which basically shows you all the different guises that uh, Eddie and Arsenio, and I thought it was interesting that Arsenio Hall was given as much uh, import in the, mm. in the credits mm. as Eddie Murphy. It just makes you think, oh, God, couldn't they have done this sooner? Or why hasn't Arsenio Hall done more movies? He was really funny in Coming to mm. America. He should have done more stuff. But yeah, excited about that. Uh, see how it pans out. And then, of course, there's Sing 2. Sing 
to the sequel to Garth Jennings' animated movie from a few years ago with all the singing animals and mm. talent contest for singing animals. You remember that? Garth I was do. on the podcast. A lot what of movie. K pop bunnies in it. Indeed. Mm, that's the true. The first time uh, Taron Egerton sang Elton John songs mm-hmm. on screen. That's mm. true. Indeed. Indeed. Except he was a gorilla at the time, and we yes. all remember it. Yeah. Yes. I don't. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I don't generally love talking animal movies, but it was pretty charming. I, singing I it was animal be dreadful. movies. Hmm? It was a singing animal yeah, movie. Yeah, but they talked between songs. Like, I'm not wrong. No, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that's going to say it was better than a talking animal movie because they were singing. Mm, I don't, that doesn't usually help. You know, oh, like, okay. I reference Happy Feet again. So, uh, um, but you like Zootopia, don't you? Zootropolis, whichever I, you want to call it. I liked it, but again, I don't love animal movies like it's not one of my top modern then maybe anyway. don't have helen on disney versity yeah yeah hates all talking animals just don't have me on for the lion king or bambi we'll be fine <laughs> what? you don't like the lion king or i bambi. don't like the lion king. helen killed bambi this oh is an exclusive, like exclusive reveal bambi. Oh. yeah anyway sing 2 is going to be out later this year everything permitting and uh, the returning cast of matthew mcconaughey reese witherspoon scarlet without her spoon taron edgerton <laughs> And Nick Kroll, they'll be back, but they're joined by Bobby Cannavale, Chelsea Peretti, Halsey, Eric Andre, Pharrell Williams, Letitia Wright. Mm. They're all going to be in the movie, but the big one, they got the big one, folks. It's Bono. Bono is going to be in this film, and presumably he's going to be doing it for free. Pro Bono, if you will. Oh, boy. <laughs> I am pro bono. I'm very pro bono. I know it's like, I genuinely wonder, other bands have kind of renaissances and U2's never had a renaissance. And I wonder if the world will ever forgive them for giving them an album for free. Like, I don't know if they'll ever get over that because it feels like that just killed them with a generation. <laughs> absolute and, outrage about that was ridiculous. Like, how fucking, uh, I don't want to listen to this shit. Well, yeah. don't listen to it then. No, but wasn't it that it was forcibly pushed onto your phone and you couldn't yeah, do anything so about it? And- no, you, you could absolutely delete it. Like It was like being force-fed food by a parent. Like, nobody wants to play Here's the Train Entering the Tunnel with a YouTube album. The, the the hedge wasn't coming around your house and forcing you to listen to it. <laughs> the hedge? What the is hedge? That like horticultural guitarist. <laughs> Across my entire lifetime, um, you two have not been cool. Like, no. there's a whole, basically, for most people, like 30 and under, they weren't alive at the point that you two were cool and doing good things that people liked. So, um, this one definitely seems to be like playing to a certain demographic. Uh, parental demographic mm. um, for, for Sing 2. Generally speaking, if you look at their positions on stuff, they're on the right side of history. And bands who have no positions on fuck all, like everybody loves them. And I don't, you know, fundamentally don't 100% understand it. Anyway, it's fine. Also, it's banger after banger after it banger. It is banger after banger, right? I mean, it's and not it, just it, us being like proud of our roots. Like it's, there are no. some bangers. It took me a long time to, to you know, get on board the U2 train. Me too. You know, I'm I'm very much an REM guy, and there was the there was a big REM U2 rivalry. Oh, did they have beef? It was, it was it was huge beef, and the beef was only was only set aside whenever um, Michael Stipe, Mike Mills, uh, Adam Clayton, and Larry Mullen Jr. got together to form Act. What was it Automatic Baby? Oh, that's it. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> Act Song for the People. They did a one-off gig where they sang one, a uh, really lovely version of one. Michael Stipe sings it. 
and the other guys do the, the backing band and it's already slightly ruined by some dreadfully off-key vocals from Mike Mills. Uh, <laughs> but go and check it out. It's uh, They called themselves Automatic Baby and they were they were good friends as bands. But anyway, mm. it took me a long, long time to get on the U2 uh, train, but there's some great, great some songs great there. Songs, there's, yeah. um, you know, and... Um, Where the Streets Have No Name. Yeah, that one. Still haven't found what I'm looking for, With or oh, Without You. Shame, Ellen, Don't but make if me you keep looking. just list them, fucking hell. <sighs> Bono in this is going to be a lot of fun. So the movie opens in theaters December 22nd, 2021, or just check your iPhone on the day. And I'm sure Bono <laughs> and his little elves will have been working really hard overnight. Hee hee, stick it in the phone. Stick it in the phone. Hi, you got a free film. You got a free film. What do you mean you're not happy about it? Jesus Christ. The things I do for you a lot. Ungrateful whelps. <laughs> Speaking of musicals, there's some other news, isn't there, about Shannon Lynch? <laughs> Yay, she's going to be Miss Honey and Matilda, which is absolutely fantastic casting. I think she's got a real warmth to her, Shannon Lynch, if you see her, especially on social media. She's really funny and sweet and lovely. And Miss Honey is meant to be the sweetest, loveliest, warmest person in the world. So that is just nailed on brilliant casting. Super, super mm-hmm. happy with that. Um, and, and yeah, can't wait to see it. I, I've never seen Matilda. Oh the, my the god! Musical, the oh my Tim god! Minchin musical. But you yeah. loved you loved Groundhog Day. We've established this, and it's you know it's yeah, got that same kind of wit and that same kind mm-hmm. of humor. Yeah. And, and a small child gets thrown into the rafters at one point. So I don't understand why you wouldn't <sighs> rush to see it. Um, am I? I'm not pro children being thrown <laughs> into the rafters. I mean, am I? <laughs> you just gave off that vibe, Chris. <laughs> But yeah, good point about it, Lashana Lynch. I interviewed her on the Bond junket, which was the last junket I ever did abroad oh. anyway. Five years ago. God, it, it, crazy. Was, it seems like five <laughs> years ago now. And she was an absolute delight. So yes, I'm all for Lashana Lynch being in more films. We should just very quickly mention, because we don't know much about it, so we can't go at length, but um, Alex Garland's new film is... Let's be honest. Especially yeah, on this podcast. It's true. Um, Alex Garland's new film is called Men, so instantly one star. And uh, <laughs> uh, Jesse Buckley has just been signed up to uh, star with Rory Kinnear on mm. board. So that's intriguing. All we know about the film is it's about a young woman who goes on a solo vacation to the English countryside. First of all, it should be a solo holiday to the English countryside after the death of her ex-husband. That's all we got. I Unless, don't know of course, she is American, in which case it would be a vacation. That's true. Don't you have I to vacate something for it to be a vacation? Aren't you vacating your premises? Yeah, Maybe. if somebody stays at your house when you go on holiday, does that mean you haven't gone on vacation? I feel we're digressing. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if um, we spoke to him recently for a recent issue. Um, Alex Godfrey spoke to him and Alex Garland mentioned that he'd been writing like a horror screenplay over lockdown. So I mm. wonder if this is that. I'd be really intrigued to see him go back to horror. There mm. was obviously like horror elements to Annihilation. but mm. um, And he obviously wrote 28 Days Later. So I was intrigued of what this is going to be if this is his return to, to horror more than sci-fi. Yeah. It feels very much like the indie random film generator has thrown this movie up. It's mm-hmm. A24, it's Jesse Buckley, it's Alex Garland, but this is, sounds tremendous. Mm. I would quibble slightly with the idea that this might be positing the notion that men are bad as a group. You show me evidence. <laughs> Any evidence. Right now, in the world. Right now, of anywhere, anything that's happened in, in the Washington, last DC. week or so. That shows that toxic masculinity at work. Together, in groups, can be dickheads. <laughs> and solo, to be honest. 
Solo. I mean, don't even get me started on that fucking film. <laughs> oh, boy. It was okay, Chris. It was it's okay. It's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> I really liked it. really liked it. Anywho, we're going to finish off now with some very sad news, which is that Tanya Roberts, the star of The Beastmaster and A Few to a Kill, and briefly a Charlie's Angel, passed away just a couple of days ago. In, I think we have to discuss it, very unusual circumstances. Mm. Uh, she was taken ill. She was rushed to hospital just after Christmas. And her, then her uh, publicist declared to the world that she had died. And then whilst her boyfriend or husband, I'm not entirely sure of the situation, was given an interview uh, about her death, he was called by the hospital to say that she was actually alive. But sadly, she was too far gone. And... Um, passed away the day after that. Uh, she was only 65. Mm. I think we discussed her a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we talked about The Beastmaster, which is along with Few to a Kill, the movie that I most remember her being in. And she was a fun presence in both those movies. Jimbo, you, you've, you're a Beastmaster fan as well. I, I've seen Beastmaster many, many, many times. I, I love mm -hmm. her. I love any film with, you know, marmots in it. And Ben, have you seen a few to a kill yet? Are you working your way? You're not. You haven't got all the Roger Moore's, have you? No, I haven't got there yet. But when I get to it, I'm gonna keep an eye out for her performance. Mm. Um, who who does she play in that one? She's the slightly sadly ordinarily named Stacy Sutton. There's there's no innuendo there whatsoever. But she's the the Bond girl per se in the movie. Uh, age appropriate, of course, for Roger Moore, who was 105 at the time. <laughs> And uh, yeah, she's a lot of fun, a lot mm. of fun. And uh, she was in that 70s show as well over the, over the last few years and uh, revealed a hitherto unseen comedic side. And uh, very, very sad indeed, Tanya Roberts, yeah. who passed away at the age of 65. And now we move on inexorably into our sixth hour and we <laughs> review this week's movies. First up, we have a movie which debuted on Amazon Prime Video, or is it just called Prime Video or Amazon Video? Anyway, Amazon. If you have an Amazon account, you can see this movie there. And it was uh, on over the Christmas period. And it is Sylvie's Love, which is a love story about Sylvie. <laughs> Jimbo. <laughs> well, that's it. You've said every, everything everyone needs to know right. about this. It's a Four love story about Sylvie. Sylvie. Four stars for Sylvie's Love. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, yeah, this is actually a rather lovely sort of Harlem love story. It's written and directed by Eugene Ash, who is from Harlem himself and was a former recording artist. And this stars Tessa Thompson as Sylvie. She works in her father's record shop in the 1950s, uh, watching endless hours of television uh, and dreams of becoming a TV producer. And one day, of course, in walks dashing saxophonist, uh, saxophonist, if you will, uh, Robert, played... What? The in <laughs> saxophone. Remember the Simpsons? Saxophone. No? Oh, there we go. There we go. Saxophone. <laughs> so, yes, uh, in walks uh, saxophonist Robert, uh, played by... Namdi Asamuga, and uh, he applies for the job while trying to make it big with his jazz quartet. And so the timeline on this one jumps about a little bit. So you have this, um, a chance meeting five years after they meet is kind of the framing device early on. And then it fills you in on how they met and then the sort of subsequent romance uh, and then hopping back to the present when they try and rekindle the flame. Now, the one thing about this film that kind of struck me more than anything is it just looks absolutely gorgeous. And it's mm. not just because of this kind of stunning vintage 50s costumes, but it's shot on film, which gives it this beautiful grain to it. And it uses this kind of Technicolor palette and it really evokes that kind of glow feeling of the sort of golden age of cinema. So it's, it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely film just to look at. And then it's also beautiful to sound because like that look is coupled with this dreamy, jazzy soundtrack. 
There's a really easy mood to the film, and it's actually really soothing to watch as well. Both Thompson and Asamuga are delightful. Um, mm. And I kind of—I think what really landed for me about this was there was a lot of parity to it. You know, despite its setting in the 50s, famously uh, <laughs> equal setting the, the 50s, um, th this isn't kind of about his career and her fitting herself around it, but it's about two people who both have hopes and dreams, and each, each of their dreams are given kind of room to breathe. And I think that was lovely to see in this. It dimly touches on kind of prejudice and racism, but it's very much left to simmer slightly out of shot. There's a slightly awkward dinner which references that, and there's sort of, you know, uh, she talks about her career aspirations possibly being limited by her sex and her race. But other than that, that's not what this film is about. I mean, it is a love story first and foremost, um, and I, I thought it was a beautifully told one as well. It kind of carries you with it all the way through, and you root for both of them, even when they're being maddening. I don't think it's a complex film narratively, but I do think it has a lot of emotional depth. Possibly my only criticism is I think it's a touch too long. It's nearly two hours. It can maybe have benefited from being maybe 130, 140. Uh, and I think there's a, there are a couple of scenes in it where coincidence I bumped on the coincidence. There are a couple of like, oh, it's you. Tell me this really important piece of plot development. It's like, really? Could we not found something more <laughs> organic to do that? But sure, fine. You can overlook it, though, because this film has a lot of heart and it's lovely. Uh, and despite that slight eye-rolling moment, I thought this was like the kind of film, it's like a perfect film to see in 2021. Uh, mm. You know, the shit show that is this year. So, yes, four stars for Sylvie's Love. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with James on on this, and you know how much that annoys me. Um, but it's uh, but it is really really charming. I I think there are also I didn't so much trip on the coincidences as I tripped on a couple of very familiar soapy elements, which I you'll know you know exactly what I mean if you've seen it, and I'm not going to make it clear otherwise. But there are a couple of plot developments where I was like, oh really that you're okay, that's a shame. But otherwise, just loved it, and the characters are beautifully drawn, and I love that it's a love story that also acknowledges that you may have other things in your life apart from being in love, that you might want to be in love with someone and you might care about them, but you might also care about other things and maybe mm. that's okay. And I think that gave it some complexity and, and a real grown up feel that we don't always get. So yeah, lovely. Lovely stuff. Lovely, lovely, lovely stuff there from Sylvie's Love. I'm Bono and welcome to the Empire <laughs> Film Podcast. The, uh, yeah, this is the first one I watched this year, uh, my wife and I. Hmm. Second was Instant Family. You ever seen the film? Really good film. Check no, it I'd out. I'd like to see that. I've heard good it's stuff. very good things. Mm, Mark Wahlberg. Rose Chris Byrne. has been raving about it for a year and a half now. They get it. They, oh, they get an instant family. Just add water. A lot of fun. Anyway, yes, Sylvie's Love. I thought this, this too was a lovely movie. I think a couple of the character developments, but it's deliberately melodramatic and it's deliberately mm. Douglas Sirkian in that mm. regard. So you can kind of let it away with that, with a couple of those slips in that regard. But a couple of the characters aren't developed sufficiently for me. Perhaps Sylvie's husband isn't developed sufficiently. <laughs> Sylvie's uh, mother, who appears to be abusive, also isn't developed sufficiently for me. But it is about that central love story between Tessa Thompson and Namdi Asamuga, who, I didn't know this, is a former NFL player. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he is married to Kerry Washington, and he is also a producer of this movie. And so it's How very much a helped. swing for the fences from him in terms of, yeah, I'm not just going to star in movies. I'm going to star, I'm going to really anchor this love story. And uh, he's. I think he's pretty damn good. Definitely. Pretty damn good. But I would say maybe the the the... the the bulk of the dramatic weight is carried by Tessa Thompson in this, and she is very, very good indeed. Mm. Uh, it's 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 swoonsome. Swoonsome is the word I would use when describing Sylvie's love. It's rather Sylvie's lovely. 
four stars then. And let's move on now to a film that is also four stars. Spoiler. It's not, it's not lovely, though. It is Pieces of a Woman, directed by Cornel Mondruxko. Apologies for the pronunciation there. And written by Kata Weber and stars Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf as parents who lose a child in the film's bravura 25-minute opening sequence and then deal with the consequences of that throughout the film. And, I mean, wow, I have to say, it's it's, it's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging, (laughs) Helen, pieces of a woman. It's, you know, it's not an easy watch. No, that's fair. Um, So uh, a bit of a trigger warning here. It is about... uh, Vanessa Kirby's character, who is heavily pregnant, we meet her as she finishes work and picks up the minivan um, as she and her husband, played by Shia LaBeouf, uh, set out to begin a family. And then things go horribly wrong. And that is a sort of, you know, almost unbroken shot of 20 minutes or so of her in labor and everything sort of unfolding. And it's very, very, very tough to watch, even as someone who has not personally been through it. I can only imagine if you have been. Uh, so do please bear that in mind. But that said, it is the sort of the, the the start really for the rest of the drama, which is really about her dealing with her loss and dealing with the tragedy that has befallen befallen them, and the way that different members of her family, you know, react, interact with her as they try to encourage her to move on, to seek, you know, some kind of justice or vengeance for what's happened as they try to deal with it in their own ways. And Martha, Vanessa Kirby's character, tries to find her own way through uh, this pain. So it's, I think it's an incredible performance, first of all. I think it's a really, really, really great performance from Vanessa Kirby. She's always been good in things, but I don't think she's had a chance to strut her stuff in anything like this, not even The Crown, which I think was previously probably her broadest dramatic role. And I think she does phenomenal work here. She never overplays it. She finds room in really small moments to just bring a little bit of... of emotion to life she you see kind of it's one of those performances where without moving her face she communicates boatloads of information um i think it's astonishing and that's not by reading it out i just want to be clear like she just the emotion comes through despite (laughs) not overacting um I, i just think it's an astonishing astonishing performance from her she won best actress at the venice film festival this year and that as far as i can see is thoroughly deserved the rest of the film isn't always quite as good. Uh, I, there are some bits in the middle where it, it drags a little bit. It could have perhaps been a little tighter. Some mm-hmm. of the kind of metaphor is a little bit on the nose. And I have to say, right now, it's quite hard to watch some of the Shia LaBeouf scenes, given what has recently been reported about his personal life, because uh, they're, they're uncomfortable to watch, quite frankly. So so some of that is less satisfying. But mm. really, if you can if you can stand it, if you have the stomach for it, it is a great, great Vanessa Kirby performance that does deserve your attention. And it's a subject that is not talked about enough. I think, you know, there's this kind of pall of silence around tragedies like this because nobody knows what's to say. Nobody knows. There is nothing that one can say that will make it better. And therefore, nobody says anything. And, mm. and I think, you know, maybe this film is is going some way to, you know, removing that pall of, yeah, nothingness. Mm. What was your take on that scene? The opening scene, the opening 25 minutes scene. Yeah, I think it's incredibly well done, to be honest. I found it almost impossible to watch. Yeah. And I have to ask, I had to, I found myself asking, why are they showing this? What is the dramatic purpose of showing this? 
I, I think I think you have to have it. I don't think the Why? film works without it. Because you have to know, because nobody shows that, nobody talks about that, nobody, nobody discusses it, really. I know friends who have been through it, yeah. we all do. It's and, so you know, awful. It's horrific, and, yeah. and I don't think that people understand it. And I think that is almost a, it's ridiculous and superfluous to say this, but that's almost a worst case scenario version of it. Mm. And it is, uh, I, th- I think it, it communicates, when you have the, the reality of that in front of you, and you, or the portrayal of that in front of you, and you have gone through that sort of minute by minute, it, it gives context to everything that follows. And they can underplay the rest of the film because you've seen that. It's an, yeah, it's an inc- it's an incredible sequence, and I knew about it before I, I saw the film, and I was stealing myself up for it. It's really, really well structured in the way that you know, lighthearted chapes about being in labour then suddenly give way to this horrible, horrible nightmare. Mm. I just, oh, I found it. I, I mean, wasn't yeah, ready that's, for what, it. that's what cinema's there for, isn't it? You, yeah. know, you might as well ask why, why show any any person being killed or why show horrible atrocities. I guess what is the what is the point of this ultimately? Um, the point of it is to shine light on situations like this and, and people's emotional reactions, and people's emotional truths, I guess as well. But it, it's it's tougher than I thought it was going to be to watch. I knew, like, it's not a spoiler to say we all knew what was. Mm. what this film was basically about before we watched it, um, it was still tougher than I thought it was going to be. But I think that's as it should be. I don't think this is talked about enough. I know a lot of women who have been through it and who have not felt able to talk about it, who have not felt anyone else had talked about it, who have not known that there were similar people who had gone through similar things. And, Mm. you know, at some point, uncomfortable as it is, hard as it is, I think we have to be willing to talk about it and to show it and to think about it because that's the way we support the people who have gone through it a little bit and that's how we we increase our empathy with them and that's how we you know i don't know maybe that's how we find the words to say i don't know but Mm. it's i think it's important in that sense Mm. it's extraordinary but yeah as helen says you may find it very 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 tough to watch uh so it is Four stars. Four stars for Pieces of a Woman. I would very much expect to see Vanessa Kirby's name in the Oscar conversation Mm. and maybe even holding aloft a little gold statuette in a couple of months' time. But uh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Um, Sylvie's Love is on Amazon. And the last film this week is also on Netflix and it is the latest Robert Rodriguez film, Ben, fresh from his scintillating anecdote about the time Robert Rodriguez <laughs> and George Lucas once met and bonded over PowerPoint, he is back to tell us more about this movie. Yes, yeah, so this is um, Rodriguez's latest sort of kids' fancy adventure, very much in the style of Spy Kids and the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. It's called uh, We Can Be Heroes, and actually, it's a sort of semi quasi sequel ish to, to Shark Boy and Lava Girl. There's a character in this who is the daughter of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Sadly, no Taylor Lautner, but um, <laughs> yes. thank God they finally got our letters about wanting a Shark Boy and Lava Girl sequel, though. <laughs> Do you know what? This is really strange because there's. Uh, um, a generation below me, Generation Z, who I think genuinely grew up on Sharkboy and Lava Girl, like that is a a sort of semi beloved in some circles uh, property, which is just completely outside of my window of things that I grew up with, and I, I grew up sort of with the Spy Kids films. I was a little bit old for them at the time, 
But I remember seeing them and enjoying them. But anyway, uh, this is uh, it's a superhero story. So there are a bunch of adult superheroes. Boyd Holbrook playing Miracle Guy. You've got Christian Slater playing Techno. Uh, and you've got Pedro Pascal playing Marcus Marino. And his daughter is... Missy Marino, played by Yaya Gosselin. Uh, and basically there is an alien invasion. The aliens kidnap all of the adult superheroes and it's up to the kids to save the day and prove that, per the title, we can be heroes. It is not the best film in the world. But <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those re- this is a very, very specific example of sometimes you just you watch something and you go, it it just isn't for me. I am like not at all who this film is aimed at. And so my opinion on it was that there is not very much there for adults. Like you get a lot of sort of action, sort of superhero-y stuff that works across different age ranges. This for me was very, very firmly aimed at kids in a way that I think a lot of kids would genuinely enjoy it. And I think it has its heart in the right place. There is a lot of well, I was going to say subtext, but it's like overt text about like, yay, kids, you can do anything. It's up to you. You are the future. For me, it's hot was in the right place. It's just like, it's like a live action cartoon. It very much has that digital sort of intentionally kind of cheapy digital aesthetic that Spy Kids and Shark Boy and Marvel had. I, I, no, I, I think it, <laughs> I think I it is. I don't think it's, it is. Really? No, it, it has, it reminds me of those bits of Speed Racer where you're like, this This is so weird, like, cartoon come to life. The, the whole tone of, of the entire film is it's like a Saturday breakfast cartoon, down to the kid performances, which it feels kind of churlish to say. I thought actually some of the kids were, were really good in this. Like Little girl playing Guppy, who is the, the daughter of Sharkboy and Lavagirl, mm. is She's great. a real standout. Yeah, really she's fun. the girl from Bird Box, the little girl from Bird Box, and she is easily like... <laughs> yeah, I know, she really transforms for this role. Her name is Vivian Blair. And mm. um, yeah, I thought she gave a really great performance. I also thought um, Yaya Gosselin was was pretty good in the main role mm-hmm. as Missy. Um, not quite all the kids' performances are up to that. I know it sounds mean to say, but I, I think, again, watching it as an adult, some of those performances were a little grating. But I do think kids would enjoy it. And I think it's got its heart in the right place. And I kind of, I don't love it, but I kind of admire the slightly like scrappy, rough around the edges, made this in my backyard on a green screen kind of feel to it. I like it's- yeah, It has to be better, Ben. It has to be better. <laughs> mm. You can't not, just, you can't just say I've made this at home. So this is the, this is as good as you, as, as it can possibly be. It needs to be better. The script needs to be better. The direction needs to be better. <laughs> The performances need to be better. The effects need to be better. I I thought this was colossally dreadful on a on a <laughs> on a level that I, I I I I went into this expecting it to be fun because it's Robert Rodriguez and you know even when he's not on form there's usually some fun and the second I realised that it was a sequel quasi sequel to Shark Boy and Lava Girl which is his worst movie was his worst movie. I think this is now his worst movie. Then my heart began to sink. Uh, I thought this was absolutely dreadful, um, which is a real shame. Real, real shame. Um, yeah, but it's, it's one of those things. If you look good. back at Robert Rodriguez's filmography, his movies often fizz with energy and invention and wit. And there's none of that here. None of that. I just didn't have a good time with it. If you look back, you know, from El Mariachi through Desperado, from Dust to Dawn is still probably the movie I've seen most in a in a in a cinema. I love that film, The Faculty. The original Spy Kids movies, the mm. first two Spy Kids movies are so much fun. And then there's a 
big drop off with Spy Kids 3 and then Sharkboy and Lava Girl. And, you know, I was hoping that he might retain a little bit of that invention and fizz with this movie, but it's it's just not there. It's a real shame. And the plotting is all over the place. I mm. mean, it's just horrific uh, mess. And, you know, the design of the characters is blah. And yeah, I mean... I, I guess there's a point to having superpowers that we're very familiar with, so you can kind of save time on the intros, but they don't really save time on the intros. They still have this incredibly lengthy, very first base exposition scene where everybody introduces everybody's powers. I mean, you're just a bit like, oh, we get it, you're superheroes, move on. I, I just, it wasn't good. I mean, Pedro Pascal was in it and uh, I guess Priyanka Chopra for the for the gentleman or Lady yeah, Fanciers, but you know, it's it's not what you would call a good film. No, I, I do think right now, though, based on the situation we're in, if you are having to look after your kids at the moment and just need stuff to entertainment. Show them better films. <laughs> Show them better films. There are better films out there aimed at kids. There definitely are. Well, like you said, including the Spy Kids films. Like, yep. I, yes. I don't like love those films by any means, but I, th- I think you would be better off showing them those. But they, they would probably have an hour and a half of entertainment. And if you go off and do something else for that hour and a half, you can have a little bit of peace and quiet. So that <laughs> I, I have to say, I agree with our two star rating. I just, yeah. for me, anything, mm. it, the fact that its heart is in the right place and it doesn't, it, it's not actively. <laughs> for me, it wasn't actively terrible. I was just watching it going like this. Just l- nothing in this is is for me other than like Pedro Pascal's face and Priyanka Chopra's face. Uh, it, it, and it does have that thing. There is a lot of elements that feel cribbed from elsewhere. Like the aliens are very much the Sentinels from the Matrix. There's a, a kid who paints the future, and it's like I've seen that so many times before. But the Guppy character, like the 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 saving grace of the whole thing, I thought Guppy's uh, powers were kind of cool and kind of different. Mm. But yeah, a lot of it, I think, especially to adults watching it with your kids, I think your kids will enjoy it a lot more than you will. Yeah. Two stars, which I think is one too many, sadly, uh, for We Could Be Heroes. Uh, And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast, folks. The first one of 2021. And because it was so bloody long, the last one of 2021. (laughs) (laughs) My God, there's one New Year's resolution well and truly fucked before the year has even (laughs) begun. My goodness. Anyway, join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... Hopefully, because none of these have happened yet, one was meant to have happened today, but didn't. Johnny Flynn, star of the David Bowie biopic of sorts, Stardust, not to be confused with the Matthew Vaughn movie of the same name. And Kingsley Ben Adir, star of Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami, both of which are out next week. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. From Where's Mike Banning When You Need Him? James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. Uh, it's goodbye from Ben T21. Ben Travis. Goodbye. Ben T21. Peeps. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. It's better than 2021 is so far. So I don't I mean, get that's it. not hard. Ben T21. 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 Shouldn't it be Benji Benji one? There we go. He's with us. There we go. Goodbye, everyone. And then Helen. (laughs) Look, I didn't. Imagination did not make the transition from 2020 to 21. Okay, so just to lift the curtain, we were on Riverside earlier for a test drive. We just used our own names. So that was in the box when I signed in and I just left it there and I forgot that we normally don't. Hey, bye bye.
All right. And it's goodbye from me. Merry New Year, everybody. Happy 2021, folks. I'm off to work on my new script, an American Alex or Nat Wolf in London, in which a tourist comes to Yorkshire, stays off the road, goes onto the moor and is bitten by a feral wolf. And he has to figure out whether it's Alex or Nat or Tom (laughs) or the big bad, for that matter. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. See you next month, probably. Bye. Bye.